Tonight's episode of the BS Podcast on the Rigger Podcast Network is brought to you by DAZN. The old way of watching sports is over. Stream over 100 fight nights a year featuring the biggest names in boxing and MMA without the pain of pay-per-view. Canelo, Triple G, Rory McDonald, Daniel Jacobs, many more. Behind-the-scenes content, library of classic fights, original programming, everything live and on demand. Uh, download the DAZN app on your smart TVs, tablets, mobile, gaming consoles, almost anything. You can also find the brand new MLB Live Whip Around Show Change Up every day of the week. Getting set up is easy. Download the DAZN app in the Apple or Android App Store. Sign up by creating an account. Start watching across nearly any of your devices. That is D-A-Z-N. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com, the world's greatest website, home of the sports Emmy nominated NBA desktop with Jason Concepcion. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got nominated for, for some category that has like really expensive, like VR shows and stuff like that. We're on there. We don't have quite the budget of the VR show, but we are on there. We are America's favorite underdog sports Emmy nominated digital sports show. Unfortunately, it's on hiatus right now, but it's an awesome show. And uh, and I'm very proud of Jason, Jason Gallagher, and our entire Ringer video and social crew for uh, pulling that one off. We also got nominated actually for um, for Courtside, the NBA final show I did last year on HBO. And we got nominated for Momentum Generation, which uh, was an excellent, excellent surfing documentary produced by the uh, produced and directed by the Zimbos brothers. So good day this week uh, for the ringer yesterday. Very excited. Always, always good to get a little bit of love. Um, what else do we got? The ringer podcast network. Oh yeah. Ryan Rossillo did a podcast with Jason Witten this week that, um, that, that got some press. He really said some, some fascinating things about why he left Monday night football, what went wrong, what it's like to be under the, uh, under the gun like that, all that stuff. So that was cool. The Recapables has relaunched for Killing Eve, which everyone on The Ringer loves. So Kate Hollowell, Allison Herman, they're going to be recapping it right now. Their recap of season one is up and they'll be doing it every week um, through the season of Killing Eve. Cousin Sal had a 100th episode special of Against All Odds. I'm actually on that one, um, but that one was really fun. Dave Chang, he talked to Aaron Franklin, who uh, who is just a god in Austin, Texas, the barbecue god. So he talked to him. Uh, we have a mass, the Mass Man show, and my son's coming up a little later. But the Mass Man has the WrestleMania preview. A lot of good stuff on the Ringer podcast right now. Not to mention Ringer NBA MVP cases, all that stuff coming up. We are going to talk to Joe House. We're going to do a Giannis Harden ups, uh, update. I haven't been this unsure of my MVP pick this late in the season ever in my entire life. So we'll start there with House. Also going to talk about 16 years of Ernie Grunfeld, who destroyed the Wizards both from within and without. And House was very excited that he was finally gone. Then Colin Farrell came in. As you know, we love Colin Farrell. We, Chris Ryan and I did a whole rewatchables about Miami Vice once. Chris Ryan, I invited him to join that part of the podcast. So we interviewed Colin Farrell together. That was awesome. And he might have the best that great accent week for us on the BS podcast because John Skipper, a phenomenal Southern accent on, uh, on Wednesday. People really liked that pod, by the way. Thanks for all the feedback. Um, 
and then Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell, and then Chris Ryan trying to do a Bono, uh, I'm sorry, a Bono impersonation. And uh, yeah, that's coming up. And then finally, my son demanded to be on to preview NXT and WrestleMania this weekend, which we are actually going to because uh, a couple of years ago, I realized that at some point I'm going to be really old and my my children are going to be in charge of my health care and my health. And I just count out to them all the time now because I want to I want to ha- win points for when I'm 85. So we're going to NXT in Brooklyn and we're going to WrestleMania. Talking about all that stuff coming up. But first, our friends are approaching. All right, we're taping this Thursday mid-afternoon East Coast time on the line right now. Not drunk house, but a little bit buzzed house. He just came back from a lunch. He had a couple of beers. This is the house that we love the most when house has uh, a blood alcohol level of at least 0.07, something like that. Drivable, but still, you know, had a little hop in a step. Hi, house. How are you? I'm, I, I love it. I'm right on the edge. That's the, the best way to put it. I'm, I'm right on the edge uh, in terms of my sentiments as it relates to all of the Washington, D.C. sports, but I am over the top with the recent development here with respect to the Washington almost bullets. An unbelievable development this week, Bill Simmons. Yeah, and we're not leading the podcast with it. We're holding that. I want to talk Giannis Harden first, <laughs> and then you get to talk okay. about 16 years. 16 years of Ernie Grunfeld. 16. Think about your Ernie Grunfeld about, relationship. You, you could drive. You'd have a driver's license. That's how long you and Ernie were together. What, what What were you doing 16 years ago? 16. What year is that? 2003. I was working for Jimmy Kimmel show. <laughs> oh, you had, you had already. That's right. That was the year you moved, right? Yeah, that was the year I moved. That was two kids, four dogs and two houses ago when, when the, when the wizards hired Ernie Grunfeld. So, um, yeah, that was All right, what, that was a year. What, I had three girlfriends that year. That was a good year for me. <laughs> Let's just talk about it now. Screw it. You you won me over. <laughs> so in 2009 and 2010, Ernie committed some of the most fireable offenses in recent NBA GM history. Gilbert Arenas, who had severe, really bad knee trouble and ended up having major knee surgery, and Ernie gave him a $111 million contract extension. That was the, I think, summer of 2008. He followed that up that summer by trading the fifth pick in the 2009 draft. Before the draft, he traded it for Mike Miller and Randy Foy to, uh, to I, I guess, fringe starter, good bench guys. But this was the draft that uh, Steph Curry went sixth. So that was a problem, House. And then... Um, <laughs> And then a year later, he gave Andre Blatch a $28 million extension that was immediately so bad that when they had the lockout, um, they had to amnesty it. And I'm not positive the extension had even kicked in yet. And there was already talk about amnestying uh, Ernie's moves. So at that point, it should have been over. And somehow it lasted the rest of this decade. What happened, House? Explain how this kept going. Well, what I, I will say uh, one thing. I, I will come to Ernie's defense as it relates to the Gilbert Arenas contract. I believe that the architect of that was the late, great Abe Poland. 
Uh, and he was great because he was the rare, uh, a rare example of an owner that put his own money where his mouth is. He built the Wizards a downtown stadium in a portion of town that had otherwise been completely uh, a, a desert, a dead part of, of downtown D.C. And in no small part, Abe Poland gets credit for helping revitalize um, D.C. as a destination to eat, drink, and and live. He was ahead of the curve in that respect. And I think A. Poland gave uh, the direction to uh, Grunfeld to reward Gilbert Arenas. Now, the thing that that you would give Ernie credit for, per pro- almost uncertainly, I mean, undoubtedly, almost certainly, definitely undoubtedly, his single best move as a GM was stealing away Gilbert Arenas from the Golden State Warriors, mm. uh, you know, six, uh, 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. The the mistake of overpaying Arenas after an injury, I think, was not uh, 100% his mistake. But um, there are plenty of other mistakes. If, if, if this podcast, we could spend an hour doing every Ernie Grunfeld mistake. The relentless theme is what was short-sighted, short-term moves designed to ensure that the team made the playoffs as often as possible. There was one era in which they uh, didn't affirmatively uh, 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 confess to tanking, but they tanked. It landed them the number one overall pick in the form of John Wall. That turned out to be, just a, a, as a his, fact of history, not the strongest draft that the Wizards had the number one pick in. So you just have to live with whatever the basketball gods give you. And John Wall in, is is kind of a decent uh, metaphor uh, career-wise for what the Wizards for have been Ernie? over the entirety of the Grunfeld era. Yes. So yes, yes. I did a trade value column in February of 2009. So this is more than 10 years ago. And I was making up all these Karan Butler trades in there. And then I had in parentheses, my hope for a logical Butler trade might be unrealistic since you can obtain a free Fire Ernie t-shirt simply by emailing a dude at erniegone at hotmail.com. I'm not making this up. When some random fan is giving away free t-shirts to get his GM fired, you know something has gone horribly wrong. Now, this was over 10 years ago and the dude had a Hotmail address. That's how long ago people were saying Ernie should get fired. Since Wait I wrote a minute, that, I still have a Hotmail address. I still have a Hotmail address. Uh, well, you do. Well, some people do. I still have an AOL address. I guess I should talk. <laughs> right. Four, right. four yeah. months later was when he did the Miller-Foy trade. And this was one of the few times that we really argued about something. And I don't know, even know if we, you were on the podcast at the time. But you kind of liked the Miller-Foy trade. And you were so tired of the hope of the draft picks. And I remember we really battled over that. Now, I didn't know Curry was going to get... Uh, was going to fall to five, but um, but y- you 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 were kind of guilty of this too. And I think the bigger issue and what Ernie kind of tapped into was the Wizards hadn't been good for so long that even the illusion of being good sometimes was enough for the Wizards fans. It w- it wasn't even about like trying to win a title. It was just kind of like trying to get to fifty wins. Is that fair? Yeah that that goal uh, as as a um thing to to sort of invest your fandom in we just want to go to the playoffs every year like it's not uh we weren't ever feeling greedy this is a franchise that hasn't had 50 wins in in over 40 years now 
So our ambition, I would say, was was pretty modest. It was why it was so thrilling to watch Gilbert Arenas and Karan Butler and Antoine Jameson playing together and, and for a brief stint had the best record in the Eastern Conference. And Eddie Jordan coached the, the, the Eastern Conference in the All-Star game because the Wizards entered that All-Star break that year uh, with the best record in the East. Now, it didn't last long, and then you know things happened in the playoffs and so on and so forth. But the, um, the bar has never been particularly high with Grunfeld. The, the uh, overwhelming um, you know, sentiment, the overwhelming feeling is just you know, uh, success measured by making the playoffs. And I don't think anybody here ever pretended that we ever were driving towards a title contender. Even you know, Leonsis, uh, with his arrival and taking the reins and becoming a hundred percent owner of the franchise, he he said title words, but they never did anything that would suggest that they could compete with the title. Nobody ever thought that the this iteration of the Wizards over the last dozen years had any chance at all at competing for a title with um, the the personnel that they have and with uh, Grunfeld at the helm. So you know, this is in some respects that. Um, uh, that condition where you've sort of been beaten into submission and your expectations have been lowered. The mediocre, what, what's that, uh, that, 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 that phrase, the, um, oh, there's a phrase I'm, I'm going to botch it, but in any event, uh, you know, the, 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 the mediocrity seeps in and, and, and it drives your, uh, hopes for the team and, and you, um, well, set the bar lower than, than you ought to otherwise set it. We did a podcast October 2012 after the Ariza Okafor trade, which I don't even remember what it was, but we were both horrified by it. And um, we really, we really went after Ernie, and they had re-signed him. And you said the biggest, the most puzzling thing was re-signing Grunfeld. I'm not sure what the message we're supposed to drive. This is Dan Steinberg did a transcript of some of the things we said. Um, <laughs> I, I said. <laughs> I wrote on the wizard on the arenas years, which you just talked about so fondly. The wizards were like a husband who had stopped having sex with his wife for 13 years and they broke up and then they started having sex with a waitress who they had just met at some diner. And it was a very passionate relationship. And then eventually they're like, Oh, I can't believe I dated that diner waitress, but you were just so happy to have sex. That was the playoffs. It's a pretty fair analogy. Um, the wizards 16 years. Well, it's worse than that though, because so you won the finals in 78 and then you made the finals again in 79. You lost to Seattle. You had 54 wins in the last 40 years, in the last 40 years, 40 since they, since that 79 finals appearance, the wizards have not won 50 games, not once 40 I'm years. Familiar. They've not won 50 games it. once. Um, so it's, this is the, the phrase is the soft bigotry of low expectations. <laughs> that, that's, that's it. So we, we, we have been, uh, you know, beaten into this, this bias of, uh, you know, having, well, that maybe this, that maybe that's the wrong way to say it. Maybe that that's not the right saying, but, but, uh, somehow bias? or another, this fan base has been, um, tricked into, at least I'm guilty of it. You know, just looking for for modest green shoots, modest uh, optimism, modest uh, hope to crack the Eastern Conference Finals at some point in time, and every step towards that feels like you know achieving something without ever countenancing the real fact that this team hasn't won fifty 
games, and this team is not anywhere near threatening for a title. No, you have you have the worst contract in the league. Not only in that last 40 years, you haven't won 50 games. You haven't even made a conference finals. I would say the greatest moment probably of the last 40 years was a John Wall making the buzzer beater against the Celtics in round two and then jumping on the table. Or was it like well, that, Arenas versus LeBron in the playoffs? I, I Yeah, Le- I, Arenas versus LeBron was more fun. And Arenas at the at the height of his powers, Gilbert Arenas is the best player that the Wizards have had in thirty some years. I mean, it's not even close to, to my way of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, he when he, he was he, at the top of his game, he was a top five player in the NBA. Yeah, if you go back, he had a stretch that was basically the second half of one year and then the first half of the next year in the mid two thousands, where he is on par with every guy from that era. Kobe, Vince, T Mac, Iverson. I mean, like his his stats are ridiculous. And he's almost a prototype Harden. You know, he had a game um, that fit that era that was very much like James Harden in terms of an outside-inside kind of thing. He could get to the rim relentlessly, but he could also shoot from four feet behind the three-point line. Yeah, in 07, so even you could combine the two years, right? 06 and 07, he's 29 a game, 10 free throws a game, 9.9. and Exactly. And 7.3 three-point attempts a game. So he really was kind of early uh, early adopter of, of Harden. You didn't ever answer the question, how did Ernie Grunfeld last for 16 years? Because this is something I would ask you really intermittently every six months for the last 15, the last 12 years that I've known you probably. What what was the reason? So I think what happened? He, he was the beneficiary of straddling two different ownership groups with two different philosophies. And so he essentially, you know, he was at the end of the Poland regime. And so um, he had all of those uh, years to do his thing. And then Leonsis, uh, when he took over um, the, the majority ownership, the team was in a rebuilding kind of mode. So he had the benefit of all of those, you know, sort of ramp up years as years where it wouldn't make sense necessarily to, to fire the GM. I don't know how he survived the past six years. I don't have any explanation for it. Now, it is the case that he did uh, hire Scotty Brooks and the Wizards did win 49 games two seasons ago and did come within, you know, a one-fourth quarter of advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, a game seven against the Celtics. And you said yeah. that I think that is the high mar- high water mark in terms of the competitiveness of the franchise over the last uh, 40 years. It's, I don't, I don't think it, that that's a, I mean, the 30, does, at least 30 years. Does it hurt your feelings that I said on a podcast recently that the number one destination that I don't want for Zion is the Washington Wizards? Removing our friendship from the whole thing, just as a <laughs> basketball situation for Zion, I think it's the worst one. What are your, what, what's your rebuttal on that? Well, first of all, uh, <laughs> how could Washington be worse than Cleveland? How could how could this this market? Eh. This is a beautiful basketball city with an incredible basketball tradition at every yeah. level, except for professional. We have the I would say the best, most competitive high school basketball in the country here in the DMV. The two co- the three colleges have had various levels of success. I, I guess if I, maybe it's a stretch to give. Uh, Virginia, call Virginia part of the DMV, but certainly Georgetown and Maryland have had their successes uh, 
over the last 35, 40 years. And, you know, both of them yeah. have NCAA belts uh, around. The, Wait, you're talking about college basketball teams. What, what is the case for Zion on the Wizards to play with John Wall's This is a basketball city. The million point I'm making, contract. That would be terrible. This is a place that, that understands and appreciates basketball. And here's the you. thing that I, I I'm, I'm very discombobulated at the moment, to be honest, because I've been uh, in an Ernie mindset. Like my expectations, we've talked about this, have been so gaslighted into this super low bar that I, I, I've uh, been thinking about the NBA draft as something for other teams for the last 15 years. And, yeah. uh, and, and creative free agency and creative contracts is something that other teams do. Finding European players that are going to come out and be productive players. Not, I mean, the best example the Wizards have of a European player is uh, uh, my boy Sadoransky, who's a, who's a perfectly viable backup point guard. But, you know, the Wizards dabbled. The, this is the lack of imagination. They tried twice in the first round over Ernie's tenure to draft European players. One of them was most uh, well-known, uh, Alexei Pesharov, for looking like Stewie from The Family Guy. And the yeah. other one, Jan Vesely, the sixth overall pick in 2011, his most prominent contribution to the NBA was kissing his girlfriend on the draft night. So, I mean, this, this is like, when you have that lack of imagination, that lack of success, that lack of, of track record, when it comes to you know, the things that really distinguish GMs, then you, you start having very modest expectations. So I just don't know what to do, what to hope for. But I would say, like, who knows who the next GM is going to be um, and what the, the options are on the table. I don't know what it's like to have a normal GM who's creative and thoughtful and good at the draft. And, House, uh, you know, go ahead. Why don't you announce your candidacy? I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. I would never. Why? I would never. That's so disrespectful. Why Why? Well, first of all, Tommy Tommy Shepard, the current interim uh, general manager, um, who I honestly think uh, is a reasonable candidate to get the, the job, I don't think it's fair to hang any of the Ernie Stink on Tommy Shepard. I think he's perfect. He's as viable as any of the other names that are out there. Um, you know, David Griffin's interesting. The guy in Houston's interesting. There is like a list of names. I think Washington... Should Joe be House. really appealing, huh? And Joe House, he's Not an interesting candidate. You've been on the pod the last anything. ten years, proving your basketball knowledge. Who knows DC basketball <laughs> better than Joe House? I well, here, here's the thing uh, about what I know versus what 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 I'd be capable of. I argued for and would continue to argue for um, stretching John Wall. I would have stretched John Wall as soon as that first injury occurred, before the second injury. I would have stretched them, uh, you know, after the second injury, and I would stretch them now. The Wizards are not going to stretch John Wall uh, at least next season because there was a story that came out last week. Are you aware that the NBA requires its teams to buy insurance on its players, and the way yeah. that these insurance policies work, you get eighty percent of a player's salary if yeah. the player is at, on the at the moment the player misses forty-one games. So yes, the Wizards got 80% of John Wall's 19 point whatever million dollar contract. Next year, he's he, he's he's due for like a 38 39 million dollar contract. When he misses his 41st game, they're going to get 80% of that. That's going to go to the ownership group. It doesn't help the salary cap. It doesn't help uh, ticket prices. It doesn't help, you know, uh 
buying a, a, a David Chang Fuku chicken sandwich in the stadium, but it does help uh, Ted Leonsis' wallet. So there's no scenario under which they're going to stretch him because well, you, 80%... you left out one thing. You, Go ahead. Don't you get an injury exception for like half the salary or something? I think you do. I don't, I don't know. This is this is what this is why I couldn't be the GM. I'm not aware of how that works. Yeah, you're right. All we right. didn't get I'm it. Sorry. We didn't get it this season. We didn't get it last season. He only played forty some games last year. We didn't get any exception. Well, maybe they didn't want it. Maybe In they, any maybe event, they uh, a creative oh. GM. No, no. All right. So GM. I just I just googled yeah. it. So they got a disabled player exception. For this year, for eight point six million, for the rest of the season that they could use to trade for a player in the final year of his contract, whatever they just decided not to use it for next season. <laughs> I bet it would be even more. Okay, well, to to what end? It's to put bodies on the basketball court? It's not going to be a competitive basketball team. Can I throw a trade at you? Go ahead. As as the new Wizards GM. Go ahead. You get the number one pick in the draft, let's say on the on lottery night, which is very possible. All right. It's is like it really what is possible? it? Like nine percent? It's like a nine percent. Yeah, possibility. it's under ten percent. Yeah, nine okay. percent. I wouldn't call that very possible, but go ahead. I'll give you it's possible. One in ten chance, maybe. It's possible. It's possible. I'll give you Gordon Hayward. Um, all of my picks this year and Tatum. For Wall and Zion. Wow. Mm. Hey, think about that. Just marinate on it. Marinate on that a little bit. I is there any chance John Wall comes back and is good again? Or you you think the ship has just sailed? This is just gonna end badly now. I I mean, I don't say I'm not talking about the future. It has ended badly. It's over. It's done as far as I'm concerned. The dude has played 41 or less games each of the past two seasons. This is yeah. who he is. Like uh, he he tore his Achilles. There ain't, there's no such thing as as uh John Wall All-Star anymore. That this is the this is why it's the single worst contract in basketball. The answer is bad luck. I mean, some of it is, you know, the team's own uh internal assessment of likelihood of injury repeat and susceptibility to injury. And I guess you could criticize them for not anticipating recurring injuries in 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 the knees. Uh, well, the he really was. Is, he was only healthy that one year, and that was it. Remember, he had the real and they fixed the knee, yeah. and he felt great. It was the first time he'd been pain free, all that stuff. And that and they won forty nine games. And right. they won forty nine games. But House, he was, I, you know, go ahead. I think if I think if you make a push to be the Wizards GM. Stretch wall would be your bumper sticker for it. Stretch well, the, the, the wall house not gonna in 2019. They're gonna they're gonna pay him the whole thing next year so they can get eighty percent of thirty nine million dollars. That's that's like thirty. That's over thirty stretch. million bucks. So stretch as opposed in eighty percent of the stretch. Yes, that's what's gonna happen. That's what's gonna happen. Stretch stretch after they collect on that insurance money. So next year is a complete wash. And that's why the trade that you're talking about is kind of interesting to me. Oh, good. Yeah, think about that one. I mean, it's uh, kind of interesting. Like, what do we what do we do with Zion? I just love Zion. I trade I trade everybody in the team for Zion. I love Zion. Sure, I get it. Of course. 
We have all these. We What's have all these draft picks. What are we going to do with them? We have more young players that aren't going to play. We we got to make a move. Uh, I will say though, Gordon Hayward last night. You know, I'm not a jump to conclusions person with my own teams. I, if anything, I'm super uh-huh. su- super critical of my own. You've teams. been very prob- down on the Celtics team. Very down. I, I th- it, it's I have no faith whatsoever. I will say, what I saw from Gordon Hayward last night in the Miami game was genuinely eye opening, and the first time all season that he looked like Utah Gordon Hayward. And here's why: because he's had. He's had games where he's been more aggressive and, you know, he's shown flashes. This was the first time where he was like, give me the ball, let everything run through me. I'm attacking. I'm slashing. I'm not scared. I'm getting to the free throw line. I'm bouncing off dudes and I'm playing with pace. He had a rebound with like three minutes left in the game yesterday, three, two, three minutes left where he just, he put the jets on and you forget like that guy's a really good athlete. He's fast. And we just haven't seen it. He's been in slow motion, fear, and all understandable. And this was the first time yesterday where I was like, oh, this actually like that this is this this guy's an X factor for the playoffs. And I think he needs the ball. I think they need to play him. I would not play Marcus Morris anymore. I would not I would give all of his minutes to uh Hayward and to Jalen Brown in the playoffs. And I know Marcus I mean, Morris. Way won't to be go out of the limb. You wouldn't play Marcus. Right, you, 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 and Brad Stevens, two of the the great basketball minds. You wouldn't play Marcus Morris anymore. He, he plays thirty minutes a game, <laughs> and they're painful. Yeah, he 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 yeah. was good oh, for two oh, months. He's been bad. Um, yeah, because because yeah, because he's bad. That's why. Um, I will, yeah, but if you I, go here's through the thing, though, like we should yeah. do. We're old enough at this stage of our lives that we should have each and every time that we compare notes this season on the Celtics tap the brakes and and put a caveat on the Celtics ultimate fortunes because it was so apparent that Hayward was not ready. He's just, he's finally starting to get there. That's totally reasonable. The dude's leg broke in half. I mean, his ankle almost fell off his body and it, that's how long it takes. Like this is how long it took. It took a whole season for the leg to, to, to get healthy. And then it took a whole season for him to play, uh, basketball in the in the best league on the planet at a at a competitive level and feel comfortable again and right now is the time the only time that matters is right now so you know the timing's worked out maybe this was the plan all along right i think i think this is what stevens was hoping for i think he was hoping i'm going to keep playing him i'm going to keep playing him i'm going to keep playing him i'm not going to lose confidence in him what uh he actually cratered a little after the all-star break and it seemed like it was, it was even making it worse than where we were before. But what we saw in the Miami game is who he is, is who they signed for $30 million a year. A guy who can slash who his game is three point shots slash get to the free throw line slashing kickouts. That's what he does. He's really good at it. Use the picks, go to the basket hard, either go to the rim or kick it out. He had 12 free throw attempts last night, House. I mean, that, that, it's like that, signing that a new player right back. Yeah, that's like signing a new player right before the playoffs. Feels like it. So if you go through quickly, and I want to talk about MVP in a second, but if you go through all the playoff teams, he's the biggest X factor of anyone in the top, of the top five East teams. I kind of know what I have with Milwaukee, with whether or not when if Brogdon can come back in time for round two. Toronto. I, I'm rooting for it. Toronto, we know what we have. 
Philly, we know what we have for better and worse. And, you know, that like Trey Young torched them the other night. And this is what I said to you when they traded for Harris. I felt like they were leaving themselves really vulnerable against any team that had a shifty playmaking point guard because I just don't think they have anybody on their roster that can guard somebody like that. Now, they might get through the entire East without ever playing a guy like that. But it's worth mentioning that that's a real hole for them. Um, well, and the I mean, fact that, that guy Simmons is Kyrie. That's the only... That's the only guy that fits that bill in, that's in front of them. Right. So if they see Kyrie and the Celtics have figured it out, they're not going to be able to guard him. Now, on the flip side, I don't know who he guards on Philly. Uh, Indiana, we know what we have at this point. You go you go through to the other, the other side, Golden State, Denver, Houston, Portland, Utah, the Clips. OKC is the only team I don't have a feel for right now in the top eight in the West just because it doesn't seem like Paul George is healthy. Um, yeah. But Hayward... Hayward is the only guy in 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 either conference that is just a fucking X factor, because if he gets his shit together, that's gonna that's gonna push the Celtics team up a notch. And the other thing is when he does well, and it's weird because it's been such like a me first team, and the chemistry has been so up and down. But when he does well, it really does affect them in a positive way. Like they really they it's such a good story. They're really rooting for him, and he has this effect of like. Uh, you know, he'll make a couple shots, he'll make a drive, and the and the team kind of feels like a team, which it doesn't well that would doesn't that's always. better than than Kyrie, the self appointed leader, uh out there trying yeah. to tell guys what to do with all of his uh his basketball yeah, eminence and all all of his leadership chops. I don't want to talk about Kyrie. Um all right, hey, let's take a quick <laughs> break. We're gonna talk about uh our friends at Bud Light. They're keeping it real by putting an ingredients label on their packaging, brewed with hops, barley, water, and rice, no corn syrup. No preservatives, no artificial flavors. You know who else is keeping it real? Joe House. Who? How many Bud Lights do you have at lunch? I'm only confessing to three. I mean, three. if we're keeping three, the but- blood alcohol content level to to point zero seven, I think yeah, three is in that over the course of a couple oh. hours. You used a ride sharing oh, service. Yeah, You're there doing you great. go. There you go. Who's there? Doing like great. ninety minute lunch. Exactly. Come on. You know who else is keeping it real? Who I've that? been rewatching Game of Thrones. Um, oh wow! I'm through the third season. Daenerys, and? I would follow her into the fire. What a leader! <laughs> really, just been, for what she pulled off. She she meets Drago, somehow pulls off these dragon eggs, has three dragons, goes into this place, gets gets a whole army behind her, just keeps taking stuff. I'd follow her. I'd follow Daenerys. She's keeping I mean, it real. Um, Bud Light reminding you to enjoy responsibly and keep it real. And we should also mention, we did a whole thing about, uh, we did a Callaway part three event first, the 101st ringer invitational. It was you versus me versus Scarface. We battled on the par nine, which was the famous par nine from swingers, the movie with Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. Nine hole par three, nine Um, hole par three in Los Feliz. Is that how you say it? Feliz? How do you say Los Feliz? Los Feliz. So Those I don't want to spoil days. it, but it's on the uh, yeah. Ringer Ringer uh, YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash Ringer, and you can watch me uh, and House play golf. You can see House with I'm one of the weirdest putting stances ever. Well, that's the problem. I had a brand new putter. It was the first time I touched that putter. I hadn't made it mine yet. We were. It was a first date between me and that putter. I I had not. She was putting up all the defenses. She's not giving up three footers. That new putter of mine. She looked at me like. 
Well, look, you know, let's see. Let's get to know each other a little bit better. There's a mutual attraction, sure. But it was a first date. She was <laughs> not giving up about? any of that sweetness. She did not give up any of that sweetness, Bill Simmons. So now now she's knocking home 12 footers for you. Um, you can oh, watch us she's, play. She's I in the bag. Nice Believe that. <laughs> I made a nice putt off the fringe. Um, Scarface made a you couple did. great shots. But anyway, you can watch all that. Uh, on there and 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 don't forget about the Callaway, the epic flash driver, which has changed my life. And don't forget, speaking of that, Fairway Roland presented by Callaway, where we did some uh, Masters predictions heading into next week. We're going to have pods next week. We're going to have a pod Sunday night, night of the Masters, right? Right after it's over, you're doing a pod. Oh, yeah. Um, We're going to give out some some immediate conclusions. Yeah, and you're going to give out winners is what you're going to do on uh, early in the week on Fairway Rolling. So yeah, that's bet- next week. I think we have two pods coming up next week on Fairway Rolling. A, a variety Great. of guests, a variety of input. We're going to try and give out some winners. You got it. Great. Okay. Uh, all right. MVP check-in. So we're at the, the 78 to 79 game mark, and I still don't know who my MVP is, but you have decided on yours. Who is it, House? I, I haven't decided. You you sent me a note saying you need to decide. I, I, I'm here to tell you I haven't decided. I will say this. It has tightened up considerably since the last time we talked, which I think was just a week ago. Um, the fact that Houston keeps on winning, they jumped over that 50-win threshold, which is, to me, an absolute must-have requirement. The only incident in which we had a team with an MVP – uh, without 50 wins in the last uh, couple decades here was that awful uh, Russell Westbrook uh, debacle. Yeah. And that team yeah. still has has won all of two p- playoff games since Kevin Durant, you know, uh, hasn't got out of the first round of the playoffs. And I think maybe they won three playoff games um, since Durant left. But in any event, uh, the way that Houston is playing and his continued excellence, and I, I will say... Um, I, I've had the opportunity to do a little bit of research, start reading some stuff. Matt Moore of the Action Network did an incredible breakdown of the season that Harden has had. There are some stunning statistics that James Harden has achieved this year, both like big picture headline things like this, the second most points of the last 50 years uh, in terms of point average, uh, yep. but also ev- every advanced metric on the offensive side, he's, he's uh, first in. Um, first in, in value over replacement player. That's the basketball reference one. First in offensive box plus minus. First in win shares. First in offensive win shares. First in real plus minus. Oh, no, second in real plus minus. Second in PER. Like every advanced analytic loves him. The ISO game that he has uh, in terms of the, the quantity of ISO, that is that step back jumper from three, the quantity of those and his efficiency at that is literally unprecedented. No other human being has ever done it. He His scoring in the month of January uh, is the most in the history of the NBA. Like, he's, he's done uh, incredible things. The funny thing is, and we talked about this last week, he, he was on the team that started off slowly at the beginning of the season and was grossly underperforming. Like, he was playing those games. He wasn't hurt. In fact, nobody was hurt at the beginning of the season on Houston. Yeah. They just sucked he missed for a three. while. Now he missed three games. And th- Yeah, but uh, but then he, he kind of, like, just took things over himself. And then they did have a couple injuries. Capella was out for a bit. 
Chris Paul, the predictable Chris Paul injury occurred. And his he, he's getting credit, I think, at the moment, and he deserves it for single-handedly saving their season and putting them right back up to the, the very upper echelon of the West. The problem I'm having is Giannis should be the defensive player of the year. Like, yeah. it, it's, he, he's, he's one of the top two or three for defensive player of the year, and Giannis's offensive re- resume is impeccable as well. So I just don't know which way to go. How do you, do you reward the sustained excellence of Harden? So do you give Harden the MVP this year to make up for get him being cheated out of it in 2017? And by some metrics, his 2017 season was better. And Houston has been successful, successful, successful. Or do we reward the new guy on the scene? Milwaukee's going to end the season with the best record in the NBA. Their point differential is the best in the NBA. He's their best player. Shaq said this morning that Giannis is better than him, better than Shaq at the same age. I don't know what to do. So you mentioned Harden, and he was on the team. They, they, the worst record they had, I think, was eight and fourteen. Since that, that's the next a bad 50- record. Houston's not supposed to be eight and fourteen at any point. It wasn't. And they, and you know, they had uh, Carmelo was involved, and they that some dumb shit. They it took a while for them to kind of figure it out. Um, fifty three games from the point that they were eight and fourteen. I think they were like thirty nine and fourteen in these games, something like that. Forty and thirteen, thirty nine and fourteen. So the the next fifty three games after they fell to eight and fourteen, he averaged thirty nine get thirty nine points a game, seven rebounds, seven assists. Um. 44, 36, 89 were his shooting splits. Averaged 14 threes a game. Averaged 11.8 free throws a game. Uh, Only 4.6 turnovers somehow, even though he had the ball like all the time. And really wasn't playing with a lot of above average players. You know, as you said, Chris Paul was out for a little while. Capello missed a few weeks. But they, they signed Austin Rivers off the scrap heap. They traded for Fareed, who hadn't played for two years. P.J. Tucker was really like his best day-to-day teammate for six months who will never make an all-star team. And he was able to just fashion this contender out of his own skills. And he's going to get to, let's see, they are 51-28. and 28, So they're 53-54 wins, which is a fair uh, win total, I think, for the MVP. Now, the flip side with the case for Giannis I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned Shaq because I've been comparing Giannis and Shaq this whole year. I just feel like Giannis is Shaq. They they have nothing, you know, really in common, and he had a lot of things in common. Just like unbelievable freak athletes, around the rim, unstoppable. Um, just when you're in the building with them, it just feels like a unique experience. Their stats are very similar. I think Shaq's. MVP season, his per 36 and Giannis's per 36 are basically the same. And then he's a much better defensive player, I think, than Shaq ever was. And uh, and I'm not sure his team is that great. I know they have the best point differential and the best advanced metrics. They're going to win the most games. But a lot of the guys he's playing with are people that anybody could have had, right? Like you could have traded, the Wizards could have traded for Bledsoe this summer. Brooke Lopez, anybody could have had. Uh, Ilyasova was available. Chris Middleton is really, you know, the only other all-star caliber player. He hasn't been lights out this season. He struggled the first half of the season. He's been better since. 
but uh, it's not like he's playing with the uh, the '86 Celtics. So, from a supporting a cast point. standpoint, Chris Paul is probably better than any teammate Giannis has. I think Giannis's team fits better. Houston's done a better job of fitting the right kind of team around Harden, and I think it's dead even. I think that I I said this I think last week. I think they're two awesome MVP campaigns. Like there is no loser. We we just for whatever reason we have a couple great choices, and we had this. There's been years like this before, like 1987. Magic won the MVP. Uh, Larry Bird had his best season he had of his entire career. He had just won three MVPs and did not deserve the MVP that year because of everything Magic did. And then Jordan, I think, averaged like 37 a game that year. And then somebody else had a case too. Like sometimes we just have years where there's more than one MVP candidate. So um, I'm with you. I think it's got to come down to the wire. I want to wait all 82 games. I want to see how many games everyone wins. I want to really look at like, you know, the total points for James Harden. Where is he going to end up for points per game? Um, you mentioned that this is like the second highest uh, point per game average anyone's had other than Jordan. I think that matters. I also think, you know, if we're getting a little philosophical, you and I love the MVP. We argue about this every year. I did a whole book where I had a whole MVP chapter about trying to rectify the MVP travesties. If you haven't read the book of basketball, check that out. Um I, I think it matters if something significant happened during the MVP season. And in this case, we had two significant things, right? Giannis became the Shaq for this generation. He became Shaq 2.0 or Shaq, you know, futuristic Shaq, whatever you want to call it. Not to mention the best story the league has, like from where, where he grew up and all that stuff. Um, and how he got to the league and, you know, how he grew, they draft him. He grows three inches. That's, a, that's one of the things when people talk about uh, oh, they this team could have picked Giannis. That team could have picked Giannis. I did that draft. Giannis was 6'9". Now he's 7 feet. I'm pretty sure team, he would have gone higher than the third, 14th pick or whatever if people knew he was going to grow to become 7 feet. Right, House? I mean, well, that seems that, kind for, of important. For sure that, but, but it's also like a sign of, um, you know, what an, uh, it, it's more art than science, the NBA draft, because... Who knows what what kind of baggage he's bringing over from his experience? He hasn't played any basketball. Who knows whether or not it's going to make sense right. for him? You can't it turned guess to be all at good what baggage. his work ethic is going to be. It could yeah. be all. It turned out to be incredible baggage, like the stories of him locking himself in the gym where at the at the uh, at the convent. You know, his first year of the season, and it turned you know he, him not knowing anybody and not really having any friends. The way that he processed that because of the kind of guy he is. He turned all of that energy, all that free time into trying to base, become the best basketball player he could be. And God blessed him with an incredible, you know, uh, body and gifts for the for the current version of, of this uh, NBA. So, you know, that good on Milwaukee for taking that risk. And, it, and he has the work ethic, which you just never know. Um, there's a lot of luck involved with the pick. But they have done everything right by him since he showed up and he's done everything right. And it really sucks that he might not win the MVP because he deserves to win it. Then you look at Harden. We're talking about one of the most offensively significant seasons uh, of the last 50 plus years. And somebody who now symbolizes where the NBA has gone, what people value. Uh, 
he's basically created this new form of offense that I look at somebody like RJ Barrett on Duke, who I now think is underrated. Um, if you put him in this style offense that Houston has and you surrounded him with shooters, I actually think he could be really, really good. Uh, I think part of the problem with Duke was they didn't have the shooters, but you know, if, if Harden was surrounded by people who couldn't shoot, he would not be putting up these stats. And I think he's kind of, he's kind of reframed how I thought about what's the best way to put a team together, you know, cause we've had guys with individual skills like this before he's, he's been the best and most efficient version of it since Jordan, but it also really helps that they, they have continually put guys around him that make sense with how he's playing. Now, a lot of people don't like it. Like Don McLean, the Clippers announcer, was having a hissy fit to <laughs> this week when the Clippers were just getting killed by the Rockets. And he's basically saying, this isn't basketball. I don't like this. I can't say I love it. Um, at the same time, I really respect how, how talented he is in his footwork. And also, uh, I really respect how he's gotten better on defense. You know, he's not like, you know, Jordan in the early 90s, but... He's way more active. He's in much better shape and he's getting his hand on a lot of balls and um yeah. he's averaging he's, two, that, there is two a steals a game. And, and he's high up there. Yeah, right. Two, two steals a game house, which I don't know. That means you're moving around. You're trying. Uh, I don't know if he's yeah. a lockdown guy, but um, you know, hey, you know what I did? I was researching this. Did you know that he was at Oklahoma City? <laughs> They traded him. Uh, Did you know that? <laughs> he apparently they made the finals in 2012. They had listen to this team house: Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. <laughs> they're all on the same team with Serge Ibaka, and then they decided they're going to trade Harden. Did you know that? I'm too drunk to play along. I can't. I mean, all I can do is laugh. <laughs> it's too funny. It's too funny. Uh, so, what do you think? It's never You're, not funny. You're fifty two percent Harden, forty eight percent Giannis. It sounds like no, fifty five, no, forty five. It I'm I'm uh fifty point one percent Harden, forty nine point nine percent Giannis, and the only distinguishing factor is the fact that Harden was cheated in two thousand seventeen, and and Giannis should have the next. Knocking on wood. You hear me knocking on wood here? He should yep. have at least the next 12 years to to win six MVPs. And I think, you know, you know the basketball writers better than I do. The the, the folks, uh, the guys and gals that have votes, the basketball media, you know them yep. better than, than I do. I feel like just from an observational standpoint, they're going to reward the OG. There will be a slight, slight, slight preference for the OG in Harden just because He's older, and that and every, and folks will take notice of Giannis and say, "This dude has nothing but MVP staring at him in the future. He's going to get all of his coming up." That's the only hair I can split here. Last four years for Harden: thirty-one a game, nine assists, six and a half rebounds. That I, I mean, it's honestly one of the best four-year stretches we've had by an offensive player. It's it's on the short list of you're talking bird in the mid eighties, you're talking whatever four year magic stretch you want to do. Uh Jordan, obviously, Will Chamberlain, Kareem. We're talking about th this is a short list of of uh of prowess that I'm not even sure Duran is on. Well, let me ask you this. This is the other thing I was 
I, I the other way I was trying to split this hair is as I'm sitting here today, who do I think will lead their team further in their in the playoffs? Uh, and I I I can't even come up with a good answer for that. The East is wide open, but I don't know that that necessarily helps Milwaukee because I think Milwaukee could lose, definitely lose to Toronto, definitely lose to the Celtics, and maybe lose to the to the Sixers. Uh, and Houston, um, you know, depending on the matchup, like what if they get uh, uh, the Utah in the first round? And I think it's set up that way right now. Like, yeah, I, I'd be that's very bad. nervous playing Utah right now. That's the one team just because they have the rim protector, which screws it up a little bit. Plus the Donovan Mitchell hot streak potential. I, li- I like the way Utah's playing right now. Um, I, so I don't know what that cuts one way or the other. It's another like 50-50 thing to me. Between Giannis and Harden, if if I I'm just trying to come up with categories to distinguish them, I and I'm just not getting anywhere with it. Well, I guess. So we had the All Star game, right? Giannis is against LeBron. They're picking teams. Harden didn't go until like the seventh pick. Remember that? That was weird. That's not weird. He he, that was he weird. wants to play with the guy that shoots every time, even if he makes it. You still want to play with guys that you're going to have fun with. So That's a basic so then that should be advantage premise. Giannis. Okay, that's well. If you 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 get a vote, so you're splitting hairs. And if you one of your criteria for the MVP of the National Basketball Association is which guy would I more like to play with? You're by all means, please vote on that basis. Yeah, I, I'm gonna really. I I need to marinate on this for another week. I'll have an answer next week. I got the ballot. I think yesterday. Um, there's also the LeBron James whether he should be third team on NBA or not question, which 50, 55 games on. on a losing team. I just feel like no it might chance. be time to send him back. Yeah, what's the point? Why, why, why would you reward? What's the, what, what distinguished uh, LeBron's uh, performance this year? Well, the problem is um, if Aldridge is a center, which he's played like 85% of his games, he's been at the center spot. So you can't put him at forward. There's really no six forward to put in instead of LeBron. You're looking at people like Gallinari, and I don't feel oh, right no. about that. Yeah, no chance. I, as I'm telling you, it drops right. off fast. So you're stuck in another one of these silly because of the the um, categories of position. A, a silly outcome is going to be produced. Yeah, I mean, really, it would be easier if we could put Beal at forward. That would be easier, but he's been playing guard, you know. Well, no, I and he's in the he's in the East. Are you going to vote Bradley Beal onto your All NBA third team? I don't think so. I I think I have to okay. stick to if I'm not voting LeBron because he's on a losing team and he didn't play enough games, then I have to I have to carry that across the board. So I got to figure that out. What's weird is Kyrie is probably a second team All NBA, and I can't believe I'm saying that because he's been one of the most frustrating guys I've ever watched. Um, but. His statistical case is almost unassailable. His stats are unbelievable. If you look at his clutch stats, his shooting stats, he's by far having the best year of his career. Um, every metric, and yet I also, from the eye test, like and and the effect he had on the team, it's just it's really it's a really tough All NBA. And I also like I gotta say, Jokic getting his ass kicked by Cousins the other night wasn't great either for the for the Jokic case. Cousins <laughs> torched him and taunted him afterwards. Like that was not great. Uh, so I think, I think, uh, I think I'm gonna have Embiid first team and also third MVP choice would be my guess. 
but that's we'll reasonable. go over this next What's week. What's wrong with that? We'll go yeah, over it next great. week. Good I'll times. have all my final picks next week. House, congrats on finally getting rid of Ernie. Congrats on throwing your hat in the ring as the next Wizards GM. I hope they take it seriously. And uh, and good luck with all the Fairway Rolling podcasts. Yeah, c- congrats on on uh, four Bud Light, three Bud Lights. I only had three Bud Lights at lunch. And yeah, we'll be back. There's going to be so much golf next week. The Masters is here. The Azaleas are in bloom. And something else is in bloom on my body. But I think it's the right time for me to bid you farewell. <laughs> Bye, House. Before we get to Colin Farrell, let's take a break to talk about Hotel Tonight. This winter is a great time to check out Hotel Tonight, whether you want to take a spontaneous ski trip or escape to a warm beach before it gets super nice. We're still not there yet. Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book a room with one of their last-minute deals. Tons of empty hotel rooms out there waiting to be booked. That's how Hotel Tonight scores incredible rates. They team up with awesome hotels to help them sell those rooms. They pass the savings along to you. And these aren't last resort type places. Hotel Tonight. They work with cool, top-rated hotels that you'd actually want to stay at. Unlike other travel companies, you don't have to scroll through endless lists of hotels. They show you the best deals at great hotels, along with short profiles that have pictures and all the info you need. Not just for last-minute bookings, play things by ear, or use Hotel Tonight to book in advance. And when you join Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get to start scoring amazing deals in incredible hotels. Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app right now. All right, it's time for me, Chris Ryan. And the one and only Colin Farrell. All right, Colin Farrell's here. Chris Ryan is here. We're excited for this one. Thanks. We've guys. enjoyed your career. Thank you. Um, to say, say the least. You say it like it's over. No. <laughs> yeah. No. We've enjoyed <laughs> it. It's been a fun century with you. Stepping away into the sunset. <laughs> um, you've been doing these things for these. What do they call these junkets? This isn't really a junket. Is, though. I don't feel like it's a junket. It's a little yeah. tour. Yeah. It's a little interview tour. A little press tour. Yeah, so you like this stuff? No, not at all. No. <laughs> what's what's I, the I best like part traveling. about it? The best part is traveling. Like yeah. I, I got to go to um, Tokyo last week. Oh. Only two nights. You don't see much, but you certainly see a lot more Tokyo than you would if you were in Los Angeles. Are you just stuck in a hotel the whole time? No, uh, for the majority of the day. There was, let me see, we arrived, we arrived, uh, we had three nights. We arrived late one night, we slept that night, did a whole day of press. So we were six, eight hours in the hotel the next day, mm-hmm. did a screening that night. And then the next day we did a couple of things, took about two hours. And then we had the rest of the day just to walk around and get some ramen and, and have a little look at some cherry blossoms. And That's nice. Tokyo's beautiful. That's the best part of it by a mile for me. I mean. Going in different countries. Yeah, I have no desire to talk about I love talking about films, about other people's films. I love yeah. films. I've always loved films. I love talking about aesthetic and performances and, and where a film got me or where it didn't get me. But oh, talk that, about, that's what we're going to do in this podcast. <laughs> cool, man. So let's, talk about, let's talk about that's other people's That's what we do. We let's like, talk about other people's work. We can talk yeah. about other movies. We're yeah, going to talk I about love, yours, but we'll talk about other ones. Yeah, yeah. What, love, so what were the formative movies for you when you were growing up? Uh, what were the ones that made you want to be an actor? With the formative ones, the ones I remember most, uh, like in my early childhood and then into my teens were, were the Indiana Jones and Spielberg played a huge part in my life as a lover of film, I suppose, fan of film uh, when I was a kid. So E.T. was the first memory I have of a film in the cinema. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's the first memory I have. Literally, I remember- It's still in the argument for top five all time. I mean, E.T.? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I think it's in, it's gotta be at least discussed. Extraordinary, yeah. Extraordinary yeah. film. Cried, cried, cried. So hard watching it had such an emotional kind of outpouring. And I was thinking recently and someone asked me about that experience and it really did allow me to have, um, to have a, yeah, an emotional outpouring, uh, to feel 
my own expense uh, and a ridiculous humanity at the age of six or seven yeah. in relation to the emotional life that lived inside me in a way that I wasn't allowed in the house I grew up in or I wasn't allowed in school. I just felt like I had this permission to just feel and to express my feelings, which, you know, culminated in just Kleenex, box of Kleenex being used in, <laughs> in a matter of mere minutes as soon as the flower started to wilt towards the end. Um, so that was my first memory. And then, you know, Indiana Jones. Yeah, just loving Indiana Jones, the escape of Indiana Jones. Roger Moore as, as Bond. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I get the argument for Sean Connery being the best. And certainly that argument was clearer pre-Daniel Craig era. Um, but just, I grew, it's, it's a case of who do you grow up in? Where does your nostalgia lie? And my nostalgia lies still to this day with Roger Moore and the twinkle is his, in his so eye. So that was my and first the, Bond too, is Roger Moore. Yeah. So I always feel like kind of a... Same here. Kind of little, ties to him. Yeah, a little protective of him. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was never really too much of a threat. Right. Yeah, you know? I, I think that I grew up watching the Connery movies around my house. But you, when, I think there's like the bond you see when you're like 13 or 14 is the bond that you're going to remember yeah. always. Yeah. Which I think is why people get, you know, instantly um, kind of aggressive when they hear that a remake is being done of a film that meant something to them in their childhood. Yeah. Because it feels like somebody's pissing all over your youth or pissing all over the validity of your opinion, the opinion that you had when you were 12 or 14 that you still carry with you as an adult, I think. Yeah. Um, well, you went through that with Total Recall. Yeah, a little bit. you had a whole bunch of people like, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Totally. We like the old ones. Stop. I was, I was kind of one of them. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. So I had this I had this kind of struggle between being a fan, like a real lover of the original. And yeah. I used to love all Schwarzenegger stuff as well, man. Me too. You know, Running Man is classic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that one they could remake. Running Man would- I feel like Running I feel Man like could come back. they unintentionally have remade Running Man with like modern society. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You could tell me Running Man was Anything actually that says, on- Anything that says post-apocalyptic yeah, yeah, is yeah. borrowed but from But just even sure. if I turned on the television one night and Running Man was on, I don't know that I wouldn't believe it. Like if it was a reality totally. TV show yeah. produced yeah. by yeah. LeBron Not James. Like, oh, shit, this guy's getting chased. <laughs> There's no doubt that shit's been pitched already. <laughs> oh, it, just, yeah. it just hasn't got I the green light yet. there is like a Russian show where it's like, this guy dies. <laughs> yeah, it just hasn't got the green light. Who does it? If there's a second term, <laughs> yeah, just you know, you got about another another yeah. five years to, to get that one in. That's right. Yeah, I would I would be okay with remaking that one. I mean, the Predator one was interesting. Yeah, but it is it is funny to be old enough to remember the original versions of a lot of these movies. That I just get remaking. really freaked out yeah. with all the anniversary celebrations. Oh, yeah, because gosh. they just creep up on you, or you don't. Because I'm 41, and now they now there are things that. You know, I'll remember parts of my life where I was like, oh, I was living in New York in the early 2000s. And now those movies. Yeah. What did we go and see recently outside this summer just passed in, uh, was it San Pedro? I can't remember, but we went to see somewhere down south. E.T., I think the 25th anniversary of E.T., God, it's all going way too fast. Well, we're doing it this week at the, at the site that we have. We we're doing a whole celebration of all the movies from 1999. It's like Fight Club and Eyes Wide Shut. The Matrix. The Matrix. Blair Witch wow. Project. Blair Witch. It was like one of the great movie years wow. of all time. Yeah. Sixth Sense. Fight Club was amazing. Sixth Sense was amazing. Um, a lot of good sports movies that year, yeah. but it was, it was a lot of people throwing their movie. fastball. Yeah, Eyes yeah. Wide Shut and Magnolia. Yeah. Magnolia. Oh, yeah. I mean, anything P.T. Anderson does, you know. God. Did you work with him? No, I'd love to. I'd love to. He's the only stock answer I have when I'm asked, what filmmaker would you like to work oh, with? Seriously? I, I don't really have a list. I'm a fan of so many filmmakers, and um, but he's the only one that I just have a stock answer. I just pull it out. Yeah. So ever since Heart Eight and, and Magnolia and Boogie Nights and, and, it, and then even his more austere 
work yeah. of yeah. recent, you know, there seems to have been a sea change in his work from the master and, uh, or there will be blood was just a film that I, I was so blown away by the extraordinariness of it. But I also felt that's how powerful it was. I felt kind of sick at the end of it. Yeah. Like Daniel plain sickness, to. Yeah. you know, really. And I remember I had a show of it in my house and I had about 12 mates over back in the days when I had 12 friends. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I stood up at the end of the film. I said, that is a piece of genius and I never want to see it again. I've since changed my mind. Yeah. I haven't seen it again. I will at some stage, but I just think he's an extraordinary filmmaker. And did you see the last one he did? I Phantom loved it. Thread. Phantom Thread, yeah. He oh came in. God. He came on this podcast to talk about it. It was awesome. Oh man, I yeah. thought it was just beautiful. The first 10 minutes of it, I just was dizzy with the symphonic element of the camera moving and what he was capturing. I just... He's, and Daniel Day-Lewis was really throwing 100 miles an hour in that movie. He was so yeah. good. I mean, he still has it where every, it's like the World Cup. Like he makes something every four years and you've got to watch it. It's like, it is, you know, it's an event. Yeah. yeah. Got to yeah, take my hat off to it. You've done different versions of that, right? You've been, you were doing like big market movies, but now now you seem like you're in the zone where you're just doing things for you. Versus I, just feel like like, I'm, I, I just feel like I'm floating, man. I feel like I'm floating between genres. I'm floating between scale of films, you know? Um, so what's driving you at this point? Just uh, the part? Like, what are you looking at when you look at a script? There's a few things trying that to drive talk? me. A need to provide for my family drives me. Um, still, it's not yeah. what it may seem from the outside looking in. There's that. It's a job. But just talking creatively, self-servingly in regards to my creative engine or curiosity. Um, what drives me is, is the unknown really. Hmm. I mean, that's when it's most interesting. When the unknown meets a curiosity, a curiosity that you mightn't have even known you had. Like I, I read The Killing of a Sacred Deer and I go, what in God's name is this about? What's it trying to say? Is it trying to say anything? Is it just a, is it just a set of circumstances piling one after another after another to build and ratchet up the tension in the 90 minutes that it's going to last. What is the allegorical component of it? What is, but once I start being confused by something in that vein, then the ink is nearly on the paper. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? But it's not always that you get that. So it's different things like Dumbo, uh, working with Tim Burton, the yeah. desire to work with Tim Burton drove me purely. And then on a film that was so earnest and sweet and had such a lovely message at its center was gorgeous was was kind of a you know was gilding the lily but just working with Burton having been a fan of his for 30 plus years and growing up watching Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice and all those things I mean sure that was a dream come true for me did you what'd you learn from him what was the number one thing you learned watching I don't know work? what I learned from him it's very hard to say would you you know anytime I see somebody that's been around as long as he's been around or been as around as long as Pacino had been around when I did the recruit with him four lifetimes ago yeah. When you, when you see that their level of passion, I can't compare their level of passion today to what it was 30 years ago, but it's still astonishing to see the level of engagement that someone like Tim Burton has in the whole process of creating the worlds that he creates. His attention to detail, his his entire kind of consummation in relation to the project was pretty impressive. I'd watch him behind the monitor and he'd be... <laughs> yeah. Like full on ugly face acting with all the actors and then they'd say, God, need... And then walk onto the set and give his give his notes, you know. And he's just he's a he's a beauty that man. He's just every cell in his body vibrates with creative energy. He really does. He's he's pure eccentric magic. He really, really is. Do you still get surprised when you walk on sets? Yeah, because like, there's still stuff that happens on a movie set. That you're like, oh crap! I've never. I mean, I, it's a pretty familiar place to me now. 
while respecting that every set has its own tone and energy and pace and all that jazz. Um, but on the sets of the uh, Dumbo, I did find myself pinching myself a couple of times. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. Because of the scale of the sets and the beauty of the sets. And like I'd walk onto the, the big set. Did you see the film? No, we didn't. There's, 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 there's a... There's a scene halfway through the film when we leave our little podunk circus and we align ourselves with the darkness that is Michael Keaton's character. Um, and we have an introductory scene as we're brought into his new big fandangled theme park. And I used to walk that set on my own every now and then. It was just the most extraordinary piece of craftsmanship and imagination come to life. And at any given day, like when we were shooting that scene of us arriving into this theme park and there was people on the left and right, fathers and mothers and their children and balloons and candy cane. And there was a 20 piece brass band and 10 people on horseback. And there was 20 Ford Model T cars from the period, 600 wow. extras all going at the same time. And this was inside a building. This wasn't even outside. It was the weirdest thing. You'd walk 10 o'clock in the morning, sun's beating outside an hour outside of London and you'd walk after having your breakfast into this dark, cavernous, monolithic space. And there would be all this life and imagination coming to life. And I got a tear in my eye the first day I arrived on the That's set. That's like Cecil B. DeMille stuff. I, yeah. It really, man, it was so, it was like Orson Welles said, you know, you, you finally get to play with the biggest toy set, train set in the yeah. world, you know? It was extraordinary, really. I mean, there's a lot of CGI in the film, of course, you know, there's a an awful, an awful dearth of flying elephants in the world at the moment. So we had to stretch the realms of reality there. Yeah. But, everything that's that you can kind of see within 50 yards of any of the action in the film was was all there. Well, you worked with, you've worked with a bunch of famous actors. Is it easier to work with a famous actor when you're not famous yet or when you're an established person? Is it easier to work with a famous actor when you're not famous When you're like yet? the unproven guy trying to catch up or when you're actually a peer? That's a really like good, what was it like to really do recruit with Pacino? Yeah, and you're that's basically really like good. you haven't proven yourself to him yet, but you also have nothing to lose. I mean, it's no, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, I've worked with. It depends. It depends on how much. It depends on how much focus you give to the other. Yeah, it really does. I just realized because I've worked with, I've worked through the years. I remember one actor on this film. I did London Boulevard, and he was extraordinary and he came in and he did one scene and he was amazing and I just thought I couldn't compete with him now I shouldn't be right. <laughs> I shouldn't even be thinking of competing with him it's not supposed to be a competition it's supposed to be some you know parallel mutual experience of bringing a story to life through listening and sharing and listening and sharing and being affected by and are not yeah depending on the, but um I don't know I, I I through the years have paid less attention to the other in 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 the form of competition yeah so now I get excited when somebody comes in to do one or two days and I don't know who they are I get excited to see what they'll bring to the table and I don't get too nervous working with established names like Chris uh, and I are competing right now yeah. you can't see it <laughs> no 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 it's, a dual it's, it's, it's like yeah. no, there's the a whole is, little mind game going on the right now thick with, with tension <laughs> notices as soon as I walked in because you worked with when was Minority Report? That was like 2002. And you're working with Cruz and he's the biggest star in the world. And you're, yeah. and you're on set with Spielberg. Where you've yeah. Already yeah. Got and Spielberg, like, I forgot about him. Yeah, I might have felt Oh yeah, a, Spielberg, your hero. I might have felt a bit of pressure on that one. <laughs> but I was also, you know, I was I was cocky as anything back then. And I was, yeah. and I, I honestly, it's like straight up, I wasn't very sober ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like if I wasn't, if I didn't have a buzz going, I had the nervousness and the kind of strange ethereal high that comes with the next day thing. Yeah. There's a confidence in a hangover. You know, yeah, absolutely. Like the, yeah. Confidence uh, that touches madness. Yeah. 
which doesn't really hinder the creative process. I mean, maybe would I don't, I'll never know what work I would have done if I was more straight. But um, but no, I was I was a bit nervous. I was ner- I'm always nervous going to work. I, yeah. I like fear is not an enemy to me at all. You know, to this day, uh, I'm fairly hard on myself, and you know, it's something that's quotidian. It's it defies any kind of conventional mathematical measurement. So it, it's always interpretation, and sure, there's nobody that could interpret my worth <laughs> as as cruelly as I could interpret it myself at times, you know? Um, what do you remember about those five years before you went into rehab? Like, did stuff blur together? Like, because you made um, a lot of movies. Yeah. You hosted SNL. Yeah. Well, you know, that, you were in the mix I, I with stuff. SNL, I can't remember much of that week, to be honest with you. Really? Okay, honestly, I can't remember much of the show. I can't remember much of that week. I remember, I know, I know, I have the feeling that I had a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that has lingered through the mists of time and sobriety. But I can't remember much of that week. I don't remember much of Miami Vice. Oh, we, we wanted to talk about Miami Vice. At all, Vice. sure. I don't remember much of it at all. I mean, when I saw the film, there were some scenes that was, was interesting because I could kick back and watch them as if it was the first time I had anything like, seriously. Who's this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> He's who, making some great choices. A mustache. Who, yeah, who, chose, who chose that mullet? Um, <laughs> But no, I remember. I remember my initial arrival here very much. But yeah, there's, it's all kind of blends in. It was a very foggy time, and it was just a lot. Look, the smallest violin in the world shouldn't play for the loneliness or the sense of dislocation or the kind of uh, the guilt that can come with success yeah. when it comes so fast. You know, it's not a poor me at all. But just to be honest with you, I, it was a lot for me personally to experience. Like I see. I hear about Justin Bieber. He's taking a bit of time or, or whatever. I go, God bless him. Good for it's a it's a lot. Again, I'm not saying sad story. Poor Justin. I know there's people starving in the world. I know there's people living under greater duress and hardship than Justin or myself back in the day or whatever. I get it. I get it. But it's a lot. It, you, it's a lot to yeah. give a child. You know, to give a young man. How old whatever. are you? You're well, like I was 22 or three. Yeah. I, was a young, yeah. I was a young man, but I was 22 or three. Who knows what? How you gauge someone's emotional development? But I was maybe. 12 some days, seven other days, 17 right. other days, you know. I also remember when Tigerland came out, it was like, this is the fucking guy. Like, yeah. really yeah, it was mad. It was mad. It it was, you didn't really do like a lot of time no, in the minors. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I earned about 30 grand for Tigerland. Yeah. I earned 375 grand for my second film. Was that SWAT? I, no, that was um, American Outlaws. Okay. And I earned $2.5 million for my third film jesus i mean that's insane i was 22 or 3 yeah. i was getting invitations to the playboy mansion my head was on a swivel you know and i i i, I think pretty quickly just because i didn't know how to I, I had no i had no relationship to that degree of fame in my life i didn't see it growing up i didn't have anyone that i saw handle it in any way good or bad i didn't have any cautionary tales that were close to me i didn't have any decent example of how to, you know, generate an integrity or sense of dignity that was close to me. So I was just figuring it out, you know, myself as a young kid, doing all the things the majority of 22-year-olds would have done. But, yeah. I, but I always had a voracious appetite. Yeah. So it was like I always, from the time I started drinking when I was 14 or carousing or whatever, I always had a, a big engine. So that engine just got stuffed with opportunity and opportunity. And so, you know, I ended up, but I lost, the thing was I lost sight of, um, I lost sight of, just the really little pure spark. And you guys, I'm sure, have your own version of this, of why you do what you do. Yeah. You know, yeah, you got to provide as well for whoever you have to provide for. But there's something that allows you, I assume, to do something that you're doing for your livelihood, but also engenders a great deal of passion. Yeah. Which can ebb at times, we get. 
But for me, I totally lost sight of, and that was what I realized in Miami Vice. I totally lost sight of how excited I felt when I did my first acting workshop when I was 16 or 17. Was that because of this particular circumstances around Miami Vice or was that because, uh, was that just because of was the say You were down, you were yeah, going no, downhill. Yeah, it was in a cumulative thing, you know. Yeah. It was just years of, I mean, I traveled a lot. And look, I, I missed... I missed weddings at home. I missed funerals at home. I, I, I missed really important community, family, friend experiences that, you know, are day-to-day -day things, but in in the total lacking of them in a person's life, it, it, it hurts. You know, it hurts you emotionally. It hurts you psychologically. And I was, I was on the road. I was on the road for pretty much, it was a six or seven year chapter of my life. Um, yeah, but when you talk about like the tiny violin thing, yeah. See, I think this stuff is fascinating and it's something that, you know, obviously we care about sports and pop culture. That's what we cover at The Ringer and we're into. And it's a lot Let's of the same sports, obstacles. Let's talk boxing. Well, here. it's the same <laughs> obstacles, right? Where yeah. you have in the NBA, you have some kid who's 20 who comes in the league who all of a sudden he's making $7 million a year. So much. And he's got all these people in his life who want something from him. Sure. And all of a sudden he's being recognized everywhere yeah. he goes. And he's got all these pressures that he never had before. And some people don't handle it well. And I yeah. think- Hollywood, that's been a recurring theme for a hundred years. Yeah, I mean, I, I I suppose I, I, without knowing it, I vacillated somewhere between needing it to a certain degree or wanting it. Um, no, I think needing it to a certain degree, needing it, like what is fame? What, do, what does fame to the majority of us represent? Certainly in our younger ages and maybe our relationship to it matures, regardless of how close or how distant it is to us, maybe just as a result of contemplation. But as children, fame equals acceptance. Mm -hmm. Acceptance, steroids. money and women. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you could say money and women equal acceptance, how we process them. Right. So acceptance is the linchpin to which all these kind of reaches that human beings make through their lives are contingent upon, our desire to be accepted. Um. So I, I obviously had that to get on. I mean, I was an actor. I went to theater school. I was kind of serious about the journey of being an actor initially. And then all this stuff, I got on the plane, I came to Los Angeles and all this stuff happened really fast where the swell of attention and what felt like acceptance um, was so much more aggressive and so much more apparent because it was so big. It's just yeah. a lot of energy than even my own passion. I didn't have enough... I didn't have enough history exploring my passion. I didn't do five years of theater and two years yeah. of television and four yeah. small films in Ireland. I didn't have enough of a personal relationship with acting. I had done it for three or four years and all of a sudden I was at the center of these American films. So I just didn't. So you would have been better off like ending up on ER as a who, doctor for three years, just kind of getting knows? work and then getting who, a chance. Who fucking knows? Yeah. Because it's like, you know, but what I, happened to you is like only happens once every 10 years. Like it happened to you and Matthew McConaughey, where it's like never heard of the guy to like the now pace like, with which it happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 honestly, the pace with which Julia it Roberts had happened to when she she did Pretty Woman and was the biggest star in the world all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah. She yeah had been in like two movies. Yeah, before no, it's that. very it's very rare, and it's, Julia sustained it with with interesting work and good choices and and things working out in her favor. And but she struggled not, for a couple of years too. She did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's after hard. Pretty after Pretty Woman. Well, the other thing that yeah, and the other thing we didn't even mention is. You know, when you hit, when you're up there and you make a movie that maybe isn't that good and you're getting critiqued for the first time and oh, yeah. there's all these other things that are like, whoa, I thought I was great. Wait, yeah. I'm, 
And then you have or all else that, you you're never gonna... thought you were great, and you're feeling oh now oh now they're, they're being honest me. about me now they're yeah right me. now they see what I've always felt myself but yeah I didn't need to check in with because everyone was saying that I was something else that I wasn't that nobody is that it's all an illusion I mean that's what I've learned in the years it's all just an illusion the fame thing the idea of success is so subjective yeah you know honestly I mean the idea of someone says well, you your success what does that even mean. What do they know about my life? What do they know about me as a man, as a father, as, as a friend? What am I like as a brother? Right. You know, well, you know, what do I feel about my own worth? All those things, like surely they are more meaningful than any kind of thing that could give somebody from the outside looking in a perspective on how successful or unsuccessful my life is. Likewise, somebody saying you're not successful. What the, you know, what does anyone know? <laughs> does so that much. feeling change how you relate to things like athletes or like, or pop? Like, I have massive respect for athletes. Look, I was, I was, I was, I was going to be an athlete. I thought I was going to be an athlete until I was fourteen. My what dad, were you do? my dad was a professional football player, soccer. Yeah, and his brother as well. And they played for Shamrock Rovers back yeah. in the day when Shamrock Rovers were a big team and wow. even on the European stage. And he played for Ireland a couple of times. And that was what I thought until I was about fourteen. I was going to do. Um, what position were you? I was, I was all over the place, to be honest, which I played striker, a couple of good years at striker, and then I went left half, kind of left side defensive midfielder, uh, and then I ended up in goals. I, I worked on my way back down the pitch. It's <laughs> a story of my life, man, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was what, and, and boxing, I've been an avid fan of boxing all my life, never boxed, but been a, ma I have enormous respect for athletes and for the singularity. Look, the, the, the success, any kind of perceived success for me and what I do is contingent upon so many people saying it's a success or it's not. I mean, yeah. that's just yeah. it. It's, it's, it's two things. It's the public going to see your work and enjoying it or not enjoying it. And it's critics saying your work is worthwhile or not worthwhile. Uh, and the beautiful thing, the purity of sports is something that art, nor should it compete with, but will never be able to touch the purity of sports. And I there's a oh, definitive winner and loser. Just definitive sport. winner yeah. or loser. The, the, you know, team sports are one thing. The singularity of some sports, none more kind of gut-wrenchingly gut perilous to the individual as boxing, but also tennis. You know, there are sports where it's just, per I mean, I can't imagine, you know, it's just person against person. The mano a mano. Oh, it's just, yeah. it's amazing to me. And it's just brilliant. And the boldness of spirit that reveals itself in sport finds it hard to, 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 work its way into the arena of art. What you know. is, in Ireland, what are the what, what are the rankings for most popular sports right now, I think? Is uh, soccer still one? Yeah, I would say so. I would and then say, has, has McGregor changed MMA? Nah. Not really? No, I, I would say, um, I would say soccer, rugby. Rugby? And I would imagine those are more popular than, I could be wrong, than our national sports of Gaelic football and hurling. Hurling, yeah. Which yeah. are, hugely popular sports and get massive sellout crowds of 40 and 60,000 regularly at games. They're incredibly Have popular. you been to one of those? I, I, when I lived in Ireland, I lived in Cork for six months. Oh, did you? Where, yeah. yeah. In 99, I was, I was there. In Cork yeah. City? Yeah. Cork's a great place. Yeah, it was, it was really Did you get fun. down to the coast at all? A little bit, yeah. Did you go down to the Barra Peninsula? Yeah, or, yeah. Did you go to Castletown Bear? Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. So you had a pint of McCarthy's book? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was did quick, it, it was it? like Galway. Ding, ding, ding. I did Galway, I did. Galway's great. Dublin, and we did a lot of like, yeah. Just Dublin's like, a great town. The West Coast is beautiful. That'd be, the way, yeah. Do the all the places I've traveled, the West Coast, South West Coast of Ireland and and Big Sur up the I gotta here. do this. I've never done it. Uh, You've never yeah, been to Ireland? It's, it's, oh, you would do you love play it. golf? I'm 25% Irish. I don't play golf. Do you play golf? I do. 
Oh, I mean, it just that, gets that's better. That's why I have to go. I'm yeah. 25% Irish. I feel like I have to go. Yeah, 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 for sure. Do uh, the Irish celebrities, is there is there like a text chain that you guys are all on? No, like no, no. Like Bono and the no. Edge, yeah, McGregor. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not the biggest. The Slack channel. We're not the biggest demographic in the world. But for, <laughs> you know, a, a population of four and a half million people, God. Yeah. We do all right, man. Yeah. We do okay. You I know, mean, seriously, music. LA is LA is probably, what, five times the size of Ireland? How big is LA now? It's like definitely 15 million, it, it, 20 million. It feels like, like it takes 17, as long yeah, to drive yeah. across Los Angeles as it does to drive, drive, drive across Ireland. Yeah, yeah, it's about that. <laughs> depends. If you're coming from Encino and yeah. rush hour traffic, it's about the same coast to coast at home. Yeah. Small have you, island. Have you met the U2 guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all the boys. Yeah. So what happens? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, what hey, happens? man. Yeah, they get on stage, they do their thing, and you're lucky enough you get a little VIP pass to the old. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, we're going to talk Miami Vice. Okay. Um, we you should prep him about like yeah we yeah. so we do this podcast. one of the podcasts we do here is called the rewatchables where we rewatch movies that we love and last year we did my or was it this year or last year last year we did Miami Vice because ninety minutes long him and I both feel like it's an it it's a ninety minute cut it's no, a, it's ninety, a 90 minute, minute podcast. podcast oh god I was gonna say <laughs> so, is Michael Mann doing an Oliver Stone Oliver, no, no, Oliver no. cut five versions of Alexander he was so demented oh my by god it. I remember that anyway yeah totally so. We felt like it was this underrated classic, but we just felt like it was us. And then there's like on the, the internet, say there's that, this man. whole thing. Yeah, I know, I'm aware and of that. And it's become like a this cult classic, belated classic. Told you. <laughs> <laughs> just like you drew it up. Yeah, yeah. Told, so I, you don't remember. Just because I don't remember it doesn't mean I don't think it was a classic. <laughs> so you don't remember that much from it? Not that much. No. I mean, I remember it was a, it was a tough shoot. It was a tough life. It was like shoot. a legendary Some pretty wild shoot. shit happened then, right? You're in Cuba and Miami? Yeah, someone got shot in the set in the Dominican. Oh my God. There was, yeah, there was a storm in, in Miami, really aggressive, and I can't remember her name. And it tore down all the glass and all the buildings in Brickle. And we were flying in a helicopter that day. There was there was plane to plane shooting that was not safe at all. It was all. But you must have kind of secretly liked it a little bit. It was all manner of madness. You know what? I was pretty up for it. Yeah. yeah. To be honest with you. Yeah. I was pretty up for it. Because was there a story at the end and the ending? He wanted to film it somewhere and Jamie Foxx was like, I'm not, I'm not going there. You yeah. Have well, to that, change was, location. that was post. Yeah. That was post the shootout on the set, which was, I just remember being that bit I remember. I remember my dad was visiting that day and we were on the set in a building upstairs on the first or second floor of a building, uh, on the first floor of a building I had a ground floor. And we, uh, with uh, Gong Lee was there, we were about to do a scene, my dad would visit and, and I remember hearing a couple of bangs and look, I'd shot about 10,000 rounds in preparation for that film. So I knew what a firearm going off sounded right. like. And I grabbed Gong Lee and my dad and took them to a back room, said wait there and went out and there was all sorts of commotion and pa just pa absolute panic. And what had happened, I'm not really clear on it, but I think uh, the army that was offering security, because we were shooting in a dodgy part of town, were a bunch of kids. I mean, they were like 18, 19, I think. And they were carrying AR-15s or whatever it was. And an off-duty cop, I believe, who was lit, uh -oh. tried to get on the set. Oh, no. And the kid, in full fatigues, pushed him back. And the off-duty cop didn't... didn't uh, Tell the back. guy he was a cop. He didn't do. They didn't identify himself as law enforcement, and he took a six shooter out of his waistband, oh, no. out of his Bermuda pants with his belly hanging over them waistband. Oh, my God. And he, your man, I think, let go a couple of rounds. One of the rounds or two of the rounds hit the cop. I know he was shot. One of the rounds went through a porta potty, 
where if somebody was in there, they were brown bread. Yeah. The, I saw the bullet hole through the porta potty. Through the, you know. And, uh, and that was when, yeah, Jamie went, um, fuck this. And That's insane. <laughs> respect to him, you know, respect to him. He had enough respect for himself. I did, uh, you know. Yeah. But we had to, yeah, the, the end of the film was going to take place in um, Dominican and, and we had to move it to Miami. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that's happened with that movie is because the TV's got nicer, like the TV right there and the widescreen and the pictures. So the some of these movies that were shot earlier than the last 10 years yeah. have just translated really well oh, to beautiful. the equipment we have. And now. that movie didn't look like anything else. No, time. he's yeah, yeah, visually yeah. it was it was astounding. Yeah. What uh what part did you wish you had gotten that you didn't get? that is like your big regret part. Do you have one? I don't have one. You don't have one? No. No, I don't have one. Uh, or a part that you were going to do and you had to, at the last minute, back I mean, out? I could, I could tell you films that I loved that I would have gone, God, I would have loved to have given that part a go, but but uh, they were done so extraordinary. Give me you know, one of those. What part were you the most uh, jealous of? Oh, her. Oh, yeah. Oh, Spike wow. Jones, her, yeah. Oh, I just thought it was just, and I mean, Joaquin was... Yeah, as, as he is in every single performance he he gives, he was astonishing in it and beautiful and heartfelt and so fucking present, you know. Um, so her would be one of them, yeah. That I just I, I saw that film. It was my favorite film of that year, yeah, for sure. We just had the five year. Remember, we were talking about the five year Oscars. Yeah. That was in that was the in mix there. It was in that. the mix. We her basically was. were talking about like they shouldn't do the Oscars every year, they should do like Oscars for the five years of movies. That's it should be cool. five, like five years later. So we have some time to think about. To yeah. digest it. Yeah. Yeah. Whether yeah. not get caught up how in much all is the resonance. ambush of marketing and have our opinions. Do you, you make know, like a 10 best list at the end of the year? Do you like write, like make little lists of stuff? No, but I, I come across them every yeah. now and then online or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things you loved in the last year? In the last year? The last few years then. Did you see The Rider? Yeah. I loved, yeah. The writer was amazing. Yeah, it was beautiful. I really loved, I loved Get Out. Yeah, I actually liked great. last year more than 2018 where like Get Out and Lady Bird and I just thought it was a really creative yeah. year. Last year, I gotta say, I really liked The Star is Born. Yeah. And I just felt like it was like an old school Hollywood movie, like the kind of movie I grew up with, with big stars. Yeah, yeah. Shot really well and just yeah. stars being stars. And I still feel like, in the era of uh, everybody putting on a cape. Mm. It was just nice to see a movie with stars yeah, that had grounded. a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And I wish that happened more often. Did you did you ever have a chance to be like a cape where you'd have to make like seven sequels of a movie? And no. Do that whole thing? No, never had the chance. I did I did Daredevil long before Marvel. I remember yeah. you're the bad guy, long right? Long before, yeah. Marvel became what it is today. But no, I've never had the chance, no. There are a couple of movies from right after Miami Vice, especially in that period, that I was really surprised because they mean a lot to me. But I was like surprised they didn't like pop. Like Pride and Glory, oh, actually, yeah. is a mo movie that I think is like super underrated. Are there are there films like that, and where you're like, either that have caught on later later on, but or that you were surprised at the time that people didn't find, or disappointed that they didn't find. Disappointed, yes. Yeah. Surprised, no. I mean, I I because I I honest to God have no expectation in my suitcase. I, I just I just don't travel with it. And it's not even a decision. Maybe it's a little bit of a decision. It's a good philosophy. That's but, good. But honest to God. No expectation in my suitcase. I like it. Yeah. But I, I, I hope all the time, like you go to work, there's no director in the world. I don't give a shit how bad people say his films. There's no one in the world that goes to work to make a shit film or bore people, you know? Yeah. So you always have hope that what 
I, I've always had hope that what I'm stepping into will find a life afterwards and will either entertain, offer escapism, offer pro a provocation, whatever it may be. Um, I was disappointed. There was a film I did that I loved called Undine. Yeah. That nobody saw. I think it did like 750 grand at the think box I, office. I didn't even see that yeah. one. No, nobody you saw that one. Bill, I, nobody I think I remember it. seeing it when it came out, maybe. Nobody saw it. And I just thought it was a look, it's not an earth shattering film, but I thought it was a very sweet film and it had a lot of integrity and heart. And, and is that Neil Jordan? Yeah. 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 He wrote and directed it. And I just, I had a, and just kind of came and I went. Had a and very deep affection for the character in that film. And, and there was some points of interest that we crossed on or points of experience that that character myself crossed on uh, and nobody, yeah, it just didn't, nobody knew what, they didn't know what to do with it. They hadn't got the money to market it. Not that it would have ever done huge anyway. It was quite intimate, quite small, but there are films like that. Pride and Glory. Um, see, I have very little objectivity over what I've done because my experience with it is so total in relation to three or four months of doing something, getting to know the people I'm working with, being in another location, what's happening in my life while I'm shooting that film. There's so much information that I experience in the making of a film that then to go and see it reduced to this hour and a half, I know. two hour soundbite, yeah. it's just weird. Was it cool working with Edward Norton on that? Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed working with Ed. Yeah, he yeah. was good. Yeah, 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 he was good. He's very bright and all about the business. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed working with him. Um, and that film, yeah, Gavin so O'Connor went to great lengths, you know, to to do the NYPD as much justice as he could. There was a lot of police lads that were there, you know, giving us details that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And you've had you've known. had to do an American accent in some movies. What you've had some trial and error with it. What what tricks do you have when you do it? What it what did you uh, base shares on? But it, 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 accents depends on the accent. You know, I've had different dialect coaches through the years. I've had. Um, four or five different dialogue coaches. The one I'm working with now, I've worked on maybe four or five projects with. Did True Detective with her and yeah. did Dumbo with her and Fantastic Beasts, a few other things. Um, again, it's that thing you do, you just don't, I certainly don't know what I, look, it's one of two things, accent work, I believe. It's either a conduit into the character or it's a barrier that'll keep you away from a sense of freedom that you need to explore something to the depth that you should explore it. Oh, that's interesting. And, and a lot of that is down to yeah. your own mental head games and your level of uncertainty or your lack of familiarity. So what I have found is the more and more familiar you can be with it, the more and more, of course, like anything you work on it, then the more freedom you have within it. And then the more you can throw the classroom away and just be in the playground. You've know? you done a Boston when, movie though, right? Huh? Have, you, have you done a Boston movie uh, yet? Boston, no. That no. one will be easy for you if you're ever Boston, that. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boston, The Irish no. and the English created He's pretty Boston. hard to please, I did Chicago. I did, a, I did a fairly heavy, we went for it and did a fairly heavy uh, accent for this film, Widows, I did. I got hung up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I went for it, man. And I don't know. I make no apologies for that one. But uh, Widows, I think Widows is going to have legs. It came out, it did okay. But I think uh, when it hits cable and it and it's on yeah. Netflix for a while, and I just think Hope it's so, going to keep going because it's so interesting. It. It's a lot of good work, and he's another great director, Stephen Queen. When you're doing in Bruges or Seven Psychopaths or something like yeah. that, is it a little bit more like the safety's off? Like, do you not do you not have that thing in the back of your head that is modulating your accent and doing stuff like that? Is like, is there a little bit of freedom doing doing something like that in my own accent? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the go. Look the. I'm thinking in Brew Andine, I did a very thick accent that even though it's Irish it was is Still. as is as distant from me as Texas. Um but I do have a freedom 
yeah, doing my own, you know. But there's sometimes when I've done an accent, there's been, and not every time, and that's the concerning thing for me personally, but there has been times where I felt complete freedom with an accent I was doing. And, and some of it is down to, there are phonetic sounds that are more, that are closer to an Irish, like Southern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Southern accent is, has so many kind of, um, so many parallels in, in the way it sounds and in the, the shape the mouth makes and where the tongue rests in the mouth with Irish accents. So those ones I have New York for some reason. And I think because, you know, the New York accent is an amalgam of many different cultures arriving in New York and, and, you know, a pronounced culture in the New York experience from its, from its, its settlement on up was the Irish influx. Um, so there are accents, but, but ideally, look, I'll have done enough work by the time I get yeah. in front of the camera that there is a freedom. But of course, doing my own accent, but as well doing my own accent. Also, there's a catch, which is I feel like myself, yeah. which is the the negative aspect of it. I, I feel like I'm a little, the, the, the line isn't as definitive between me and the character I'm playing, which can be a bit sure. of a, a head fuck as well. Do you want to hear Chris's imitation of Bono <laughs> scold in the crowd? I was good. The first thing I was going to ask when I came in was, <laughs> was is there any chance I could hear Chris's Bono. imitation No, well, there's like this famous, when U2 was doing Octung Baby, yeah. they used to do a bit where he would call President, I think we called President, was it Bush? President Bush. He would call, he's like, excuse me, Mr. President, I want to tell you about the environment. <laughs> and he would call like the White House every night. And it's on YouTube. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's, I don't know. One I think this, is, this is Bono if he's from Belfast. Yeah. Belfast Bono. It's Belfast Bono. That should be your new stick, man. Belfast Bono. That's pretty much my old yeah. stick. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, Belfast Bono. Belfast what's, Bono. The, what's the best Irish movie of all time? Ooh. Is there a leader? What's the Citizen Kane of Ireland? Uh, I mean... I, I, can I toss a coin? I can pick two. Yeah, yeah pick two. Uh, the Commitments of My Left Foot. The Commitments oh. is a fucking masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's so it's Alan good. Alan Parker at the peak of his, I don't know why of his prowess. It doesn't get An amazing around. cast of actors, musicians, non-actors who all blend seamlessly. And just a gut-wrenching story of a dream nearly realized, yeah. you know, and then falling apart like a Zeppelin in flames at the very <laughs> last minute. When that limousine pulls up, and you know he's in the back of the limousine yeah. on his way to see the gig, but they finished it and they've all already imploded, you know. And he asks Jimmy Rabbit for the directions to the gig, and uh, it's it's a brilliant film, start to finish. And it's also an incredibly um, uh, socially responsible film as to Dublin at that time and the poverty mm-hmm. that was prevalent in Dublin at that time, you know. And then My Left Foot is just extraordinary as well. I mean, you just have. You've got, uh, wasn't that his breakout movie? I mean, yeah. he already broken out, but that but was the one where people, people like, were this just guy's like, that was when the whole yeah. room was standing up, yeah, for yeah. the first time and going, okay, there's something really abnormally special going on here. Yeah. But Brenda Fricker in there as well, yeah. you know, like just brilliant actors. And Jim Sheridan again at the peak of his powers yeah. as a filmmaker, you know. Mm. Uh, best Irish sports movie? Best have we had one? Do we have a best Irish this sports could be, movie? This could be your, this could be your next, movie. next yeah, project. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's what about like three brothers on, on the soccer team? I'll try to make just, the national team or something. I just thought of... V, uh, Rugby? Victory. Escape to Victory. Do you remember Escape to Victory? Are yeah. You, <laughs> this is like it. one of his favorite movies. It's it? an all-time classic. Yeah, yeah, Who yeah. is the Irish guy in that movie? 
Was there an Irish they guy? Had that, they had the Irish guy. They didn't in have that. George Best, wasn't it? No, it was there. the goalie. Broke his arm. He was the Irish guy. They talked no, the Irish no, guy no. into breaking Sylvester his arm. No, no, no. Sylvester Stallone was the goalie. Yeah, but he was the goalie because they talked the original goalie into breaking his arm so they could all escape. <laughs> and the guy was like, all right, cool. And they bro broke his arm. Everyone else escaped. Let's look it up right I now. I can't remember. But I remember Ozzy Ardiles was in there. Oh, was, that's the last 30 minutes of that movie is. I think my favorite sports movie stretch. It's incredible. You know what? I haven't seen it's, that in it actually, 20 plus years now. Because what happened initially, it was on TV. It was the square. And he filmed it completely vertical. Like, yeah. I mean, a horror. Wide screen. Yeah, wide yeah. screen. Yeah, yeah. Right. So now that the TVs have caught up with it, you can see like all the plays. And it's it's like out of control. Who's the artist? Sly Stallone as the goalie was a little bit of a reach, but terrible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, they had to get as a, a former keeper. You were probably His just like really. Technique was just <laughs> well. Plus, he catches the penalty kick, which is the least realistic like sports movie in his, moment in his belly. Yeah, from in his belly. Or was it, was it there? Was it there? No, no he pulls it, was it out back a bit. in. Do you think that anybody could make a good movie out of Roy Keane's life? Uh, Keane is a so Roy Keane is like this. Yeah, one of the most famous Irish athletes ever. He's a midfielder who played for Manchester United. Of course but, they could. Yeah, he's a fast look. You can make a movie out of anybody's life. Human yeah. beings are interesting. There's no such thing as a boring person. There are people that will bore me. There are people that will bore yeah. you. But there's no boring person. There's just people that will bore me. They're not Wait, a boring. Person. How old are you now? I'm bored by them. Doesn't make them boring. Yeah, human beings are fascinating. The stories we carry with us. Uh, how old 40, are you now? I'm 42. Oh, you got three years left. You got a sports movie in you. Just bang one out. Three years left. To do soccer? I tore my ACL seven well, months ago, man. That's a good year. Three years. Did you ever do it? Recovering from your ACL injury from <laughs> yeah, one last. good. It's the actor who <laughs> wants to be in the victory remake. He wants to be in the escape to victory He's sequel. taking HGH and yeah. microfracture surgery. Meanwhile, I'm over here fulfilling my new employment as researcher for this podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to find out who the goalkeeper was in Escape to Victory. Yeah, he was the, they talked the Irish guy into breaking his own arm. Who I always felt like as, as a 20 Do you think he was a goalkeeper or was he an actor? Well, he was the actor playing the playing goalkeeper. Kevin O'Callaghan? Yeah. That's Callaghan? who it was. Kevin O'Callaghan? Yeah. Callaghan? Yeah. They talked him into it. I never, it never sat right with me. Um, I obviously blanked the whole plot point. All right, this was fun. We turned you into a researcher. Yeah. We're, we, I'm good, right? Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, great. I was just going to ask about the, t about TV stuff. Oh, let's do that. Let's do the TV stuff and then we'll wrap. Um, I actually, I, I actually really, I, I liked you are in the minority. No, I look, you were amazing. <laughs> on no, that show. we, on we uh, it's, Man, it's they, come they, around, they, it's come around. I'm telling you, the, the blades were sharpened. It's I mean, just you know, the first, happens. the first season was so strong, you know, and it came out of nowhere. This didn't come out, there was all that expectation, you know. Again, it's not for me to say it, it really. I, I, I don't, I have no desire to say what its worth is or isn't. All I know is I loved working on it. Mm -hmm. Like loved working on it. I loved that character. I loved working with Nick Pizzolatto. Uh, I think Nick is is an extraordinary writer and philosopher, actually. Uh, and I saw the second, the third season. I yeah, the rehearsal. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, we did like a bunch of stuff on that. I it was, was really fantastic. Good. Are you home? Are you like when you go home at night? Are you are you usually watching new stuff, new movies, or are you going back and watching older movies? Are you watching? All the TV that's on now, like not all the TV, bits and pieces of TV. Um, I watched. I finally watched all the Game of Thrones about a year. No, maybe a year and a half ago. Oh yeah, I watched the five. Was it five? You could have cameoed on that show for like two episodes. I did. No, you could have. Oh yeah, I could have. You could have gone in there, just been some crazy prince. <laughs> Another opportunity missing. <laughs> crazy Dialed prince. it up. Yeah, Dialed it up for two episodes. Some crazy killed bad night. Prince with a dodgy ACL. <laughs> really? Just how many gigs can we make yeah. that work for? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I watch it, man. Every old films, black and white. Yeah. You know, I watched Double Indemnity a couple of weeks ago. I watched new stuff. The Rider. 
Um, yeah. Did you watch Derry Girls? I watched Blaze a couple of times. you seen Blaze? Ethan Hawke? Oh, the Ethan Hawke movie, yeah. Oh, yeah. shit, that is tasty. Yeah. Oh, he seems like you're, we we've had him on the pod and he was unbelievable and he seems like your kind of guy. He's so tasty. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. Did you see Dairy Girls? No, I hear it's great. It is really funny. Yeah. So season. Mustang last week. Yeah. With uh, what's his name? Matthias Schoenbart. Yeah, Schoenhart. Yeah, Schoenhart. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. So what do your you next know. five years look like? You're just making making stuff. Just this man. I just hopefully can, you know, find my way in front of a microphone, if not a camera and, and keep working for a living. Yeah, your Irish Irish soccer movie, the national Irish team, movie. the three brothers. That's the one. You're yeah. 42, Starring Kevin but you're O'Callaghan still doing it. Kevin O'Callaghan Jr. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you find most of the interesting stuff you're reading now is designated for TV or is it is it a mix? A lot of this, a lot of the strongest writing. Oh, that's writing, a good question. A lot, a lot of the strongest writing seems to be finding its way to TV, you know? Were you going to do Oliver North for your yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we you? were. We were with Amazon and then a bunch of stuff happened at Amazon and got put in the back. I don't know where that is now. Great script. Jesus, talk about a satire done just beautifully. Um, yeah, Yorgos really wanted to direct it. I don't know, that might come around again. There's no government scandals anymore, so it's not that timely, right? Yeah, yeah this yeah, would yeah. be the last, yeah, that exactly. was the last one. <laughs> Everything's plain sailing these days. <laughs> well, I'd imagine with TV, the talented people are drifting to TV because you have more control over what you're doing and... No, no, you've more control over doing. You've more time. More you, time. You've more everything. time to get familiar with the characters and, yeah. and to explore a greater degree of detail, I would say, you know. I mean, that's certainly it. People were asking, you know, what was the difference between True Detective and shooting a film? I said, there was no real difference. The cranes were all there. I mean, you know, the trailers were big and the food was grand. And But I had, you know, this these uh, eight scripts to work off. And yeah. I got to really, I felt by virtue, even before I did the first episode by virtue of just having that much material and that much kind of character detail. I got to know, um, I got to know that character, Ray Velcro, pretty well. I mean, this the process is so. That was an accent I felt pretty. I could have, I could have improvised. Rays all day. Yeah. 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 Whatever was good or bad or relevant, I felt like I could have just. He riffed. had that like that cigarette blasted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Larynx kind of voice, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 kind of an old-fashioned lawman, yeah, yeah, from another era. Yeah, yeah. The the process of we had Bill Hader was here last week and or actually Monday, um, but you know he's in the middle of making Barry, making eight episodes, and the bar is so high now for these television shows that they're really like movies. Like those Thrones guys are finished; they're making their last season. They're making. Six a nine-hour movie, yeah. basically, or an eight-hour movie, it? and it's, it's like amazing. it has to be at the same level. I of, cannot and, wait to see it. It's insane. Yeah, it's a lot of um, good stuff. It's a lot of good work out there for writers and, and filmmakers. All right, so see Dumbo. Give us sure. the one sentence: sell for Dumbo. You really have to sell Dumbo? Yeah, no, just give you. I want to hear from him. I want his one sentence. I want his pitch. See Dumbo because you want to. Okay, great. <laughs> That's perfect. All right, man. Confa, I hope your knee, I hope it recovers. Thanks, pal. Is it 100% yet? No, another seven or eight months. All right, you got it. It's Thanks for coming on. All right, before we go, we're going we're gonna to bring my son in to talk about all the wrestling stuff this weekend. Before we do that, I wanted to give a shout out to our YouTube channel. We got a silver button recently. Things are really heating up. We're, at, we're almost at 115,000. We want more subscribers. We want you to subscribe. It makes us feel good. It makes our self-esteem higher than it should be. And all you have to do is go to YouTube, just search for The Ringer or youtube.com slash ringer. Yeah, all our stuff's there. We're actually going to start steering more and more videos toward YouTube, I think. So just subscribe now. Our batting average is really high. We did the Callaway one this week. Just just check it out. Um, 
we might even put my son's wrestling videos up there from this weekend because he's vowing to try to do 35 finishing moves in our hotel bed on Saturday <laughs> for the 35 WrestleManias. He did this when he was eight. It was adorable. I put it up on my Instagram um, and he's going to do it when he's 11. It's still going to be adorable. At some point, not going to be that adorable. And we're probably almost there, but uh, right now still adorable. So check that out. The Ringer on YouTube. All right, let's bring in my son. All right, WrestleMania is coming this weekend. I'd be remiss if we didn't have our wrestling expert. Um, we're on a good run with family members. For me, my mom was on last week, which was a critically acclaimed performance. She said, "Kyle, she said she'll come on again for the thousandth episode." Oh my god! So we're five hundred away All from right. my mom's next. Everybody, appearance. keep listening. So, yeah, so we can just make keep it yeah time. keep listening. We're gonna make it to the five hundred. Uh, in the meantime, my son Ben, age eleven. The biggest wrestling fan I know. We are going to be at WrestleMania this weekend. He would not be denied. Yes, you, we are. You badgered me. You ruined my life over and over again until I promised to take you. I have to take time off from work. It's going to screw <laughs> up podcasts. So you're not going to get, you might not get podcasts until Tuesday next week. It's Ben's fault. So apologize to America. It's worth it. Okay. Um, your three favorite matches. Give us the three things you're looking forward to right. the most. For TakeOver. It's going to be. Oh, yeah. So we got Friday night takeover in Brooklyn. We're going to that too. Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. Okay. Who do you, who are you rooting for and who's, who's going to win? Adam Cole. You're rooting for Adam Cole. Who's going to win? No, I'm not rooting for Adam Cole. I'm rooting for Johnny Gargano, but Adam Cole's going to win. Adam Cole's going to win, but you're going to be, you're going to, so you're going to be upset is what you're telling me. Not really, because I know the outcome. Tommaso Ciampa's going to come back and make Johnny Gargano lose. How do you know this? You're because just guessing? I, I'm a great predictor. Okay. So that's going to happen. What else? What else are we looking for for, for NXT? Um, Matt Riddle versus, versus the Velveteen Dream. Oh, you love Velveteen Dream. He's only 30, 23. 23. You think he's going to be a WWE champ someday? Easily. He's your dude. Yeah. And rumor says that he's going to be in the Andre Giant Memorial Battle Royale. Rumor? We saw yeah. you read that on the internet? Yes. Okay. Uh, WrestleMania 34? Yes. No, 35. 35. Wow, 35. Can't believe it. So what do you, what are you looking for to WrestleMania? Um the the whole women's match. The three-way. Yeah. Ronda Charlotte, Ronda Rousey, Becky, Becky Lynch. Lynch. Becky Lynch all the way. Becky Lynch is winning. No. Charlotte is. You think Charlotte's going to win? Charlotte's going to be the longest reigning WWE Women's Champion. That's how this is going to play out? Yes. And you're ready to say goodbye to Ronda Rousey? Yes, I hate Ronda Rousey. Well, why? What did she do? She's evil. She She's slapped evil? the security guards. Yeah. The hus her husband was in Raw and, she, and her husband got kicked out. Yeah. Because he hit a security guard. Oh my guard. God. And you think she, this is her last match potentially? Yes. And then Becky Lynch, you met. Yes. She's Last October, G. you, uh, I was just, you, you I were was, kind of blushing when you met her. It seemed like you were yes, a little sweet for her. She is a God. Yeah. That's your favorite. But I, I was really mad when I didn't get to see her compete at Survivor Series. Oh yeah. Cause she had her broken nose from, uh, yeah. what's her name? That Naya. Naya punched her in the nose, broke her she, nose. She's, our, she's like, Oh, I, I'm getting bullied. You bullied her. Yeah. You ruined my Survivor Series. Yeah. You you broke her nose. Did, nobody cares if you got bullied, Naya. Maybe you shouldn't have broken Becky Lynch's nose. Yeah, you freaking jerk. Uh, what else are we looking forward to? Um, 
Daniel Bryant versus Kofi Kingston. Oh, yeah. Big Kofi Kingston comeback. Yeah. He so, was basically buried, right? Do you want to know what's happening? Give us the quick, quick thing. At WrestleMania 30, Daniel Bryan had to fight in all the matches in order to go to the main event of WrestleMania. Yeah. That's what happened to Kofi. He got screwed over in the gauntlet match. But then the New Day in their tag team gauntlet match, they won. And now Kofi Kingston's going to WrestleMania. Wow. And the crowd's into this. Yes. We love Kofi. And then Roman Reigns, who dramatic comeback from leukemia and the crowd was against him and then he got sick and now he's the most popular wrestler. Drew McIntyre is going to lose. To Roman Reigns. Yes. And you're ready to really, really root for Roman Reigns. What a comeback story by him. What a comeback. People love him now. It's so funny. Um, The Shield, are they going to stay together through this or is something bad going to happen? At the main event, not the main event, but the second match to the main event. Yeah, the preliminary main event. Is Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. Yeah. And after Seth Rollins wins, which will probably happen, Roman Reigns is going to spear him. Going to spear Seth Rollins? You think they're going to turn on each other? Wait, you think Seth Rollins is going to beat Brock Lesnar? Yes. Why? Because Dean Ambrose is going to distract Brock Lesnar. How do you know all this? Because I'm a predictor and I watch YouTube. Okay. You watch a lot of YouTube. Great. What's going to be the worst match? Which match are we not looking forward to? Kurt Angle? Oh, no. It's going to be the worst match. No one likes Baron Corbin. Yeah. You should have retired. You should have retired Kurt Angle after your broken neck. Yeah. You look like a turtle. <laughs> You shouldn't all, be all good points. I can't. I can't really. You shouldn't be go wrestling. Any of those. Is is uh is your dude Ricochet going to be in WrestleMania? No, but he is fighting in the he's fighting against the War Raiders with his his tag team partner Alistair Black. This is great. You're not bringing a sign. No. You're wearing. What are you wearing on Friday? You're wearing oh, just wearing NXT outfit. The NXT hat I'm wearing right now. Yeah. And my NXT roster shirt. My black pants and my black shoes. And when are you going to wear Sunday at WrestleMania? My lucky Undertaker shirt. Do we see the Undertaker on Sunday? Yes. Is he going to be wheeled out in a wheelchair to wrestle? (laughs) (laughs) Is he going to have a walker? No. Yes. Who moves better at this point, him or me? You. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we'll see him though. The dead man. He's always in there. The dead man always comes back. The dead man will be dead soon. The dead man. (laughs) Come on. And Shane McMahon is the dead gonna, man's going to live forever. He's eternal. No, but Shane McMahon, the dead man's wrestling career is going to be dead. Soon. Yes. Yeah. But Shane McMahon is going to have to have another retirement speech. Is Shane going to go through a table from twenty five feet? Oh yeah, like always. Who's he wrestling? The Miz. Let's go, Miz. Yeah, the Miz. He's Shane McMahon's a jerk. He turned on the Miz. Yeah. Why did he do that? Fast lane, and he hit the Miz's father. It's unbelievable. If somebody hit me, you would kick their ass. Yes. Um, all right. So the champions coming out of this are going to be Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair. Who's going to be the WWE Universal Champ? Seth, Seth Rollins? Rollins. So you think Lesnar loses the title? Yeah. Wow. Easy. And then uh, what's the other What's the other one we care about? Kofi. But is that a title at stake? Yes. Oh. Daniel Bryan. Which- Let's see. I, I'll be at the... I'll be at the. Uh, I'll be at the hot dog. I'll be at the hot dog stand title because that's where I'm going to be during that match. Uh, all right. Well, this all sounds great, Ben. Yeah. Um, 
How many years away are you from joining the WWE? You think 12? First, I'm going to go to NXT. You're going to do in Orlando? Yeah. Wait, how old are you going to be? You just skip college? Be... Don't save me a lot of money on college. No, no, no. I'm going to get my acting. Act? You're going to act now? I'm going to act because you have to act in order to wrestle. So you can take acting lessons in Hollywood to get ready to be yes. a wrestler. And I've been training on my couch with my stuffed panda. <laughs> That is true. I've posted some of the Instagram videos. Wait, what? Well, I've posted a couple of like, you're doing these double flips. I keep telling you not to, and then you keep doing them. You're going to break your neck. It's worth it. Panda. Um, Rip Panda. All right. So when we went to Orlando to NXT, My you life did an changed. entrance. My life changed. You felt like your whole life fell into place. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop this. I just want you to decide before you're 18, because then instead of paying for college for you, um, we can just put all, we can just hire acting coaches and, yeah. and people who can teach you triple flips. Oh, I'm so down. You can get ricocheted. Ricocheted. All right. Well, good luck with all this. All right. Thanks for bullying me into, uh, Nia Jax got bullied. I also got bullied into going to WrestleMania with you. Well, and now you. America is not going to get their podcast until Tuesday. Well, well, America, you can wait. All right. WrestleMania sorry, is America. important. I'm really, I'm really sorry. I apologize. Uh, thanks, Ben. Thanks for coming. All right. Out. Thank you. All right, thanks to DAZN. Remember, getting set up is easy. Download the DAZN app in the Apple or Android app. Sign up by creating an account. Start watching across nearly any of your devices. D-A-Z-N. Thanks to TheRinger.com, the world's greatest website. Thanks to Hotel Tonight. They make it easy to book awesome hotels at amazing rates, like a matchmaker between top-rated hotels with unsold rooms and people who want to book those rooms. Not for last-minute bookings only. Book for tonight, tomorrow, and beyond. Perfect for planners, procrastinators, everyone in between. Find sweet deals at cool hotels you'd actually want to stay at. Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app right now. I am not sure. I'm I'm probably not having a podcast for you until Tuesday next week. So I will see you on Tuesday. Enjoy the weekend. Oh, yeah.